0: Restaurant Unstoppable episode 1047 with Sam Four. You have to be willing to sacrifice
1: your sanity to go cook in somebody else's kitchen at three o'clock in the morning to get everything done so you know that the food is right. You have to sacrifice a level of control if you want to take help. You have to sacrifice some of your ego if you don't know how to do something.
0: Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatori and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode made possible by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's Total Oil Management automates your entire cooking oil process. With Total Oil Management, you get... Dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery. Filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting. Easy oil disposal. Use cooking oil pickup and recycling. And say goodbye to messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal, storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. Restaurant Technologies Inc., is always on so you don't have to be. To learn more, head to rti-inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and your labor cost in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time creating great guest experience. Experiences. Head to MarginEdge.com Unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's MarginEdge.com Unstoppable. This episode brought to you by Owner.com. Owner.com is the leading all-in-one platform for restaurant marketing. Owner.com powers everything from SEO-optimized websites, direct online ordering, automated email and text marketing, built-in loyalty programs, zero commission delivery, and branded mobile apps for your restaurant that's integrated right into your POS. With Owner.com, there's no contract, no hidden fees, and nothing to lose. Join thousands of restaurant owners using Owner.com to grow direct online sales, save thousands in third-party fees, and simplify their online ordering presence all in one book a free demo today at owner.com unstoppable and see why owner.com is the number one rated restaurant marketing software with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef owner of Tuk tuck Sri Lankan bites and Tuk tuck snack shop chef Sam for chef are you feeling unstoppable today
1: I mean, I'm always unstoppable. Let's do this.
0: I've, I've been here for about almost an hour now, actually, setting up. And I've gotten the privilege of actually getting to chat you up a little bit. <laughs> and I'm excited for today's conversation. We've got a firecracker sitting across the table from me right now. I mean, uh,
1: likewise, we've been having fun yes, since you got here. We haven't
0: even started yet. I
1: know.
0: Can you wait for the next hour and a half?
1: I mean, I'm pretty excited. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to.
0: Too, but one of the things that really does excite me about you, uh, beyond the the you know recognition you're getting from the industry for doing uh, your own style of food and staying true to your roots, uh, is that you started small, and, and you scaled over time you are not defined by your brick and mortar. You're no. living proof of that and I cannot wait to pull back the layers on you but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us?
1: I mean, I always have been working off of one simple statement and that's to work hard and be nice to people and amazing things happen and honestly, if it's gotten me this far, I'm not going to change that anytime soon.
0: It is that simple and that hard.
1: Exactly. <laughs> it's Some days are, are more difficult than others for yeah. sure in
0: that regard. So what, in terms of like, how you keep doing that in the, on the difficult days? What's the narrative? What are you telling yourself? How do you stay true to your values?
1: You know, it's the same thing that I tell my staff. It's at the end of the day, it is just food. It is food. Now, food is a universal language. Food has many, many facets to it. But at the end of the day, their job in this shop is to make sure that somebody leaves just feeling a little bit better, mm, I love just that. a little bit better. And so if you think of it, if you just sometimes you have to boil it down. Dumb it down. Because, yeah, you do have to dumb it down. Because, you know, as as small business operators, as entrepreneurs, as pop-up chefs, as, as whatever you choose to do, it's a lot of stuff to do. You're doing a lot. Yep. Like you are your own PR person, you are your own marketing person, you are your own mm. IT person, you're your own so chef. you close to
0: home right now. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> my own chef. Se- I was the only one who was cooking for seven years. Yeah. Now I have people who cook. It's the most amazing luxury yeah. in the world to me.
0: And you're going to hit roadblocks. You're going to have downtime. Oh my
1: gosh. Every day there's something that's going to be a little bit weird, but it's just all in how you adjust. Mm. You know, to survive in this industry, there has to be a level of adaptability.
0: And I think that's going to come out of your story. Yeah. So let's move on to starting to tell your story. Uh, where does it make sense to start sharing your story?
1: I mean, we can, we can start in,
0: uh, I guess we can start in 2016. Well, here's what I know. I okay. know that you were in North Carolina, you're yep. f- but you're you're from Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah, born here. You were in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how long you were in North Carolina. Eleven years Until in Boston. I was
1: seventeen. Eleven years in Boston.
0: Seventeen in Boston. Boston. So you you came to back to Lexington in 2016. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I was uh, I was looking for a place to live, and okay. um, my my husband now my now husband then boyfriend we had been together for ages, and I was like, you know what? I'm tired of throwing money out the window. Let's just invest in something. And apparently when you are looking at real estate in the Northeast, as I'm sure that you know, it is a nightmare. It is actually a living nightmare when you look at the prices and what you get for it. Yeah. And so his cousin happened to be with me that day. And he says, you know, in Kentucky, for this kind of price, you could get a nice place with a gold toilet in it. And I thought that was funny. I was just like, you know what? Let's go see.
0: A lot, of land a lot of land out here.
1: That's a lot of land out here. I did not go full Guggenheim. Like there is no gold toilet in my house. Okay. But like I have a significant Maybe
0: a gold bidet? Mm, no, no, no.
1: Maybe all if right. maybe if a couple checks. <laughs> if this place does well, who knows? Okay. All all bets are off, you know, I'm, I'm I'm into it. I'm I'm here for the adventure. But um
0: quality of living
1: quality of here. life was much and we were only supposed to be here for a year. Mm-hmm. And within ten months we had put an offer in on the house and you know, Lexington became home again. And it's probably, I honestly, I think about this a lot. Like, I don't think that this concept would have succeeded in a big city.
0: I I want to, actually, just give us a teaser. I think that's going to come back, but I want to go even further back in your story. But why Mm -hmm. why don't you think it would have succeeded?
1: Because when you have to start as small as I did to get return on your investment in a larger city. Overhead. Overhead, licensing, red tape. Everything now. Lexington has its fair share of regulations and rules, but they're all pretty straightforward mm-hmm. when it comes to temporary food establishments. Mm-hmm. In Boston, it's you know weeks of weeks of setup for one event. Here, it's a couple. It's a, it's significantly easier. Yeah. A lot less red tape. Yeah. And it's so it's, it's a couple of phone calls. It's showing up in yep. an office. It's being polite to the person who's inspecting your space. Yep. You know, it's, it's not a tall order. You know, I don't have to go to this office, that office, jump through this hoop, jump through that hoop. And then also contend with the fact that there are a billion restaurants up there that are excellent.
0: So but does it real does the story really start in 2016 or was there something leading up to this? Was it, was I mean, the, it does
1: kind of lead up to it in that. With I was always cooking in the house, like that is that's cooking is how I connect with people.
0: Got it. So when you were in Boston, well, what did you go to school for? What's your background? <laughs> I'm just curious. Like, how, like, give me an idea of who we're talking
1: to. Uh, I got my undergrad in marketing, advertising, and PR, Ooh. and I got my master's in marketing management.
0: Okay, yeah, you know, I'm pulling back layers on that yeah. as we move forward too, because that is huge skill to have yeah. in the restaurant industry. If you know I how was
1: supposed to be a consumer behaviorist of some sort.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. Yeah, I think I like that sort of thing. I like understanding how the consumer works and thinks and ticks. Same. I hate the the grind of actually communicating to them the tools, the things you gotta force yourself into Mm -hmm. to get the message out. But I love understanding people. So I think we could actually get really nerdy there. So definitely why so what what were you doing before? Like what was your work? What were you doing?
1: Uh, I started out, when I graduated from undergrad, I went to work for a very hip interactive advertising agency called the Barbarian Group.
0: Okay. And
1: this was in Boston? And this was in Boston. And their claim to fame at the time was Burger King had this website with a chicken on it. And you could type in orders to the chicken and say, hey, do a dance. And then it would think about it and do a dance. And so essentially they did like a video engine called the Subservient Chicken. And it was a huge thing for Burger King in like the early 2000s. And it just, it cracks me up because they're like, oh, you worked at the chicken place. And I'm like, well, yeah, but now I have a chicken place. So it's all kind of, you know, it's it's all full circle around chicken at this point, isn't it? (laughs) But um, I I worked in advertising. I did a little bit of account management, mostly accounting. And um, I decided to go back to grad school. When I got out of grad school, I couldn't find a job. Mm. There was this height of the recession, uh, 2010 is when I got my grad degree. Okay. And uh, I could not find a job. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I I need to find a job. I need to be able to live. And um, I was reading the newspaper. And these two chefs in Boston that I actually admired and respected very much. I might know Uh, Ken Oranger and Jamie Bissell. I love Ken. Actually, yeah. never
0: had Ken on the show. I've had Jamie on the show twice. Oh, no way. Love Jamie. Uh, I'm here because of Jamie. such a humble dude. Jamie is the best. Such He's so cool. So giving of his time. He
1: is an excellent. haven't cracked
0: the egg on Ken yet. I would love to get Ken on the Ken show. Ken doesn't
1: like eggs. Don't crack eggs around him. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe I might have used that expression. I don't know. But uh, I would love to get Ken on the show. He's so impressive. Oh, what Ken's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but,
1: I worked with those two for about a... Now it's been over a decade. You know, it's, and they. So initially, it was I would make food occasionally with my mom, and bring it up it's because I became their website designer. They had said in the newspaper that they hated I think their I've website. Seen
0: your website. I must have seen your website. The Copa one. Is, yeah, I did the Copa one because I started in two thousand, like twelve, thirteen, and I they were yeah. early on my radar. So I, yeah. you taught me all about their. Business I before probably I ever did yeah. reached out to them because I, the was,
1: I was I uh, was telling them that. I told them something that I still tell people. It's like if you're going to control something, if you're going to have something that's part of your brand, part of your, you know, your whole stable, you need to have the keys. And so when you don't have the keys to your website, you can't keep people apprised of things that change. In the restaurant industry, so many things change in a day. You might be 86 on something, or you might just have something that is like a whole new revelation of, okay, there's not going to be parking this day, so you need to alert everyone immediately.
0: Yeah. So what my interpretation of that is you need to know how to do everything in your business. You don't have to be the best one no. at it, but you need, you can't be shackled to an yeah. element of your business you're
1: better off having a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things yes. than being a complete savant in one thing yes because the the level of problem solving that's involved and in even doing a successful
0: pop-up is mind-blowing right so you basically said to them like you can't you need to have you need to be able to manip- manipulate your website to a certain degree to be able to get the message yeah
1: out. i'm like why can't you edit it you need to have your keys mm-hmm. and so at the time boyfriend now husband was a web developer for a shop in Boston. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna use my time from the advertising industry and see if I can turn this into a project that we can manage. And I underbid it so bad. Like I underbid it like by a lot of money because I thought I was playing a hard bargain and I thought I was playing a really hard bargain because I'm like and I want dinner too and I'm like I'm sure that they were just like laughing to themselves in the back and now that I now that I know how the sausage is made I'm just like cracking up at it because I look at all these and I was like oh my god like I would have gotten every account just by being you know accessible Mm. but that is honestly with the with working with those two with working with Copa and then eventually Toro Little Donkey Fasha Fasha um, it became a crash course in learning about food about the industry and about what's good you know it's like I'd never had the snout to tail eating experience growing up I, we weren't really big on eating awful and, and things like that you're first generation
0: right? I'm first generation growing Sri American. this wasn't
1: uh... uh yeah we were in Lexington until I was five and then we went to North Carolina and you know that's like vinegar or sweet barbecue and you know it's North Carolina food is its own little animal of deliciousness on its own right Mm -hmm. but it was never you know i'm going to go eat pig's tails with mostarda like it's a normal thing and so you know that's where i taught myself about ceviche that's where i taught myself about crudos that's where i mean there would be days where i was sitting at the end of the bar at copa and you know they go move down a couple seats and they'd whip out these huge cutting boards and then they'd break down a pig and i and then jamie would hold up pieces and he's like what's this I'm like, I don't know. He's like, this is the Copa. This is the this. This is the that. I am like, so I'm getting butchery education too. I'm like, all of this from making a website. And I had no intention of going into the yeah. food industry at that yeah.
0: point. It's sounding like I'm going to be getting the author of, of The Experience Economy on the show in this road trip, which I'm really excited. Nice. Joe Pine. Yeah. And it, that is such an experience, what you're describing right yeah. here. And not only is it an experience because it's fucking cool. It's like, wow, like that's cool. But i would
1: never seen it before. But you're also,
0: also educational. And yeah. you're going to tie that new information with an experience at a restaurant. And that is, that's marketing. Marketing, it's, like its,
1: it's turning from a diner into an educated diner. Yes. And educated diners is what we all want. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, there is a level of accessibility that's involved with a restaurant. But like learning all of that opened up so many doors to things that I know where that comes from. I know what that is. I can eat that. I can try that. I've had that ingredient before. It was in this. I thought it was like this. But now it's, it's, it's giving me a whole new palette of, of colors to paint with. You know, I didn't realize that different parts of the pig at that point in my life were, you know, more flavorful than others. And now one of my best dishes is spare ribs, which I didn't learn how to cook until right before the first pop up. So, you know. So this
0: is kind of where like the bug is. If I'm, if I'm, if the origin is is like.
1: Yeah, because I would, I would go home and make stuff with my mom in North Carolina. Yeah. And then I'd freeze it and I'd bring it back up because, you know, feeding us, feeding, feeding friends and one day I told them I was bringing up something called lump rice and i brought up like crab curry and pol sambal before. pol sambal is a coconut sambal, a ubiquitous Sri Lankan condiment that you actually had on a fried chicken sandwich earlier. It's like pink and fluffy and delicious.
0: Earlier. I'm supposed to happen. I'm going <laughs> to move the mic slightly away from my mouth. Keep going.
1: And so then one day I brought lump rice and it's, you know, sometimes when you bring chefs food, a chef is always excited to get food that they don't have to make, but it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, they'll just put it off to the side and they finished it in like five minutes and, and lump prize are not small. You know, it was a sizable, sizable dish and they destroyed it. And so I was like, okay, maybe they think I can cook. And so fast forward, we've, we've moved out of Boston, you know, well, actually I'm going to go back for a second while we were in Boston. I'm throwing derby parties, dinner parties, you know, we're having people over to gather around food. It's just always been my thing. Um, I've always been capable of entertaining. My mom has always cooked for forty at a clip. You know, it's it's just how we are. Yeah. When you're preserving a Sri Lankan community right. with through food, as you know, the last generation has done for us. You know, you're bringing in all these recipes that don't necessarily have equivalents that are in America yet. So you're making do with what you got. You know, coming to Ohio in the seventies, you don't really think that there's yeah. going to be a well-stocked Asian grocery there. Uh, yeah, do you?
0: like you got you got like uh you know the Southeastern Asian markets because there's a a, pop, a populace here, but mm-hmm. Sri Lankan, is no. probably hard to find. The exactly. Yeah.
1: And then there are some things that are just very Sri Lankan yeah. all on their own that are not the same as other cuisines. And so, you know, her, my mom having that sort of arsenal to make such amazing food is what taught me how to make do. Nice. And so I'd take all that up for Jamie and Ken and then be like, okay, this is good. I'm like, sweet. Nice. Awesome! They that's like that's it. a
0: compliment from those two. Uh
1: huh. Oh yeah, I yeah. was dancing the whole time. Are yeah. you kidding me? I bet. And so then in 2012, um, after we'd come down to see whether or not there were gold toilets in Kentucky, <laughs> uh, we decided to move. And I said, "Guys, like I'm, I'm leaving. You know, I can still work with you if you want." And so they kept me on. Nice. So I'd go back and visit once a year. This is 2016. This is twenty. This is 2012. Twelve. Twelve. Leading up to sixteen, I'm like, guys, I think I need to take like a sabbatical for a month and, and see what's going on here because I had people showing up at my house for brunch, and I'd invite like maybe eight or nine people, and then one morning there were forty people at my door at eleven a.m.
0: Was a Sunday.
1: It was a, yeah, it was a Sunday brunch. Sunday.
0: So you were doing your marketing thing, your branding thing, um, essentially. Yeah, I on mean, the just sign, like, working remote.
1: I was I was working remotely. Were you at the agency. No, no, no! It was all me. I oh, was, yeah. I was, I was the agency.
0: Okay. So um, did you? Ha- it was, so you were just kind of like a side hustler, freelance, digital. I turned
1: freelance digital into my whole branding. life. Marketing, branding. Yeah. I had multiple chefs, multiple restaurants. I did some stuff for Petit Robert, which was a French restaurant in Boston. Um, some professors, some stores, like really, you know, small e-commerce sites.
0: Oh man, I am so excited for this conversation So <laughs> I'm going to pull some knowledge out of you. Um, so I'm pretty okay,
1: open with it. So. so in
0: 2012, you start just, just for like fun, just for enjoying your, your, yourself and your company and creating, you know, a, a, a place for your, your and guests. And we just
1: are, moved to Kentucky. So, so we didn't know that many people. people. Yeah. We're making friends. Yeah. We're like, okay. How do we cultivate our friends? I feel like the best way to get to know somebody is over a meal. Yeah, absolutely. Because, like, a couple you, of drinks, ex- loosen well, yeah. up the... I the mean, champagne is you know, always
0: flowing at our brunches. My poor listeners like, here he goes again. <laughs> but no, I, think, I think alcohol has been getting a horrible rep lately. Like seriously, seriously speaking, like there is, don't get me wrong, there is a, a, an issue. And I'm, I'm acknowledging that. But it's also an amazing tool for mental health. If I'm being completely... No, seriously. like There's books written about this, and like, and we've evolved with it and a part of our culture for so long. It's, I'm not saying like, get hammered with people and do it every night. I'm saying... It's
1: the same sort of concept as if you loosen up a little bit, you're going to have a, a less stressful time. It's so good time. for
0: you, but it also helps you connect with people, and it's a great tool for helping you connect with people on it's a It's just when you want
1: to connect a little bit too far, and right. that's when you're just like... Mm everything in moderation and like using I, and abusing i don't i don't drink that much anymore yeah. but you know i used to be a two martini gal and, and i'd still be standing up straight now i have two martinis and i'm under the bed <laughs> i'm asleep i'm rolling around i don't know what the hell's happening but it's a great point. way
0: to get to know people is the point I'm people a point absolutely i mean because we meet people yeah. at the bar yeah
1: yeah, that's where you go to meet people. I should your start age.
0: making my guests drink alcohol for every interview. That'd I mean, be-
1: if you want, I can get a glass of wine. No, I don't no, have a problem. Fine. I have I have a cola right now, but I can I can switch to a glass of wine. Maybe. We can make this nice and weird. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> this is- I think
0: I've scared. It's already him. weird. <laughs> uh, Keith, so you're you're um so you're working. You you have these um you have these people that you're coming over for your, your dinner parties and it's nothing like crazy. It's just kind of, and
1: then it became crazy. It became the worst kept secret in town.
0: How did it go from a, a single dinner party to crazy?
1: It was the, how fast? Uh, it took about six months and everyone got progressively like, apparently our brunches were like things of legend. Um, somebody was telling me about it recently from their viewpoint and they're like, it was like you had a performance art piece going in your house where like somebody was a writer and they were just writing in the corner while chowing down on tree yeah. food. And then you have like gym trainers that are there and then bar rats who are there in the morning when you don't normally see them unless it's dark. And they're like, what
0: is this? So I, this podcast, I, I honestly try to steer away from the food because it's a, uh, you're opening a restaurant. Mm-hmm. I hope you know how to cook. <laughs> can you do everything else? And we you really try to, fo- eat and that's what we're trying. I know we're trying to focus on the everything else, uh, but I am, but it I, is
1: the everything but, else when you have people in your space. Right.
0: So that's, but because I think this is important, like tell me more about the food is where I'm going with this. Tell me. Like, oh my God.
1: She just got locked in. Sorry. We have this, we have this uh, secret door in our space uh, that I'm telling your listeners about that <laughs> I shouldn't be telling your listeners about. She can walk
0: through. The and like, I don't care if she's on camera.
1: Oh no no no! But like it locks from one side, and so we do that so people don't just come barreling, and you, you have to know how to unlock the door. Yeah. And so now that it's closed, it's very difficult to open from this side because there's no doorknob. And so this is like it's <laughs> just like, um, have you ever seen that Far Side thing where it's like the school for the gifted, and they're just leaning up against the door, and it's a pull door? Oh but they're yeah, put, yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of what is happening in the that's
0: corner funny. right now. So, so sorry. T- no, you're fine. Tell me about the food.
1: Um, Sri Lankan food is its own animal, you know, it's, it's, I describe it for the lay person as the love child of all the fun things about South Indian and Thai cuisine. You've got your spices. Those are two amazing cuisines know, coming together. Right? Like the output and then of that. They had a really cool kid.
0: I'll go to Sri Lanka. See,
1: yeah. and it's an island. It's got beaches. It's got oh, elephants. Man. Oh man! Yeah, Sri Lanka is a blast. I'm, I miss it terribly. Do you
0: ever do Sri Lanka tours?
1: I'm working on that. Please I let me want know. that to happen. Please think let me know. <laughs> if, if any of you listening right now are part of those tour companies, call me because we need to go to Sri Lanka. I really want to start stripping cinnamon off of the trees. Oh
0: man, that'd be so much fun. Wouldn't
1: that be wild? That
0: would be fun. Like
1: I just pulled my own cinnamon stick. Who can say that?
0: <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Back to the food. Sorry. You, no, you, <laughs> you're doing great. I'm loving this, but like paint the picture of what was going on.
1: So I would make Sri Lankan brunch is the best thing ever. It's cause it's spicy. It's, it's spicy brunch and it's rice and curry, but for brunch and the rice is like, we cook it in coconut milk for the end of it. So it becomes this dense sort of block. And then you pile the curries on top of it, and it's this beautiful, like sweet, salty amalgamation of heat and spice, and like the sweetness of the coconut, but with a ton of lime juice. And so it makes a huge difference compared to just having eggs.
0: Mm. So here's what's going through my mind right now. Okay. I just recently interviewed Shift Nook from, um, I'm gonna say the, the name for a restaurant. It's she, when well, she says it, it sounds so amazing. I never do it. Oh, so um. The name of her restaurant is Kalaya or Kalaya. How she oh, would yeah, say it. yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know, know what I'm talking, talking about. about? I okay. know exactly.
2: Call I'm in not, doing, I'm in not doing it
0: justice. But yeah, in Philly, exactly. And she was talking about how food is more than just the food that you're putting in your mouth. It's it's the experience of how to eat
1: the food. Exactly. We were teaching people how to eat with their yes. hands. Yes, yes,
0: yes, yes. This is exactly where I'm going. And that is an experience because that's a lesson. And unless you know how to eat Thai food, you don't know that it's like if they bring over a bunch of food that's on a plate and it's like a, a pile of this, a pile of that, a pile of this. And unless you are familiar with the culture, you do not know how to mix those things together, right, and combine them, and like she had this prong dish, and the prong you got to like break the prong apart, you got to chop up the prong, this. you got to mix it with the rice and all the Kalia different. Stuff. call me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's so, do a
1: pop up in Lexington. And she was
0: like, we had to teach, we had to create this experience of like we we showed people like here's the plate. But then they they literally would like, like feeding a toddler would like prepare the plate after it was brought. But that showed people like, oh, this is how you're supposed to experience it. I
1: like to call the Sri Lankan cuisine the quest for the perfect bite Mm. because you're pulling in all these. So let's say that I've got a plate of rice and curries. That's anywhere between one to three proteins and three to five or vegetables and condiments. And so... I like to do like a meat and three rule, essentially, okay. except my meat is my rice. So I do my starch in three. Okay. And so I'll add chicken curry, pineapple curry and pole sambal. That's been my go to lunch lately. And it hits all those notes of sweet and spicy in a way that I want to crave it. Mm. And so that's what I tell people to do when I give them a big plate of Sri Lankan food. I'm like, make it yours. That's the point of it. Yeah. It's about honoring your preferences and what you like. You know, I don't, I don't like to give people a hard time for having preferences on food unless they're dumb. Yeah. So like I had, Oh my God, the customers I've had.
0: Oh my God. Well, I mean, I don't know at what point people decided to standardize food. I don't, I think it was part of like the, what's the name of that, that culinary organization that like the, where you'd have to go and get like, you'd have to do like this intense test and like cook all these different things. And like, um, Oh my God. Like the CIA, the CIA, but there's like a, a, a like a like a like, like, uh, what's the name of a chef that is like the top tier of chef, and you have to like earn the title.
1: Oh, so you know what I'm talking about? Got it. I
0: can't think of what it, it's like a it's like a whole like three four day test, and there's like different tiers, and like is this tra-
1: the the Escoffier
0: Maybe of? something like that. But this idea of like you don't know how to cook until you know how to recreate what's already been created.
1: Right, right, right. Okay, like, yes, that makes that sense. Mi-
0: that mindset of like who cares if it's as good as like as whatever the standard is but
1: but this is the thing is that cuisine for so long was repeating consistency right and that's why french kind of had the standard i wasn't
0: going to call it the french specifically but yeah like no but that, but that was the standard because
1: yeah. if you if you think about french food a lot of the dishes that people absolutely love are humble peasant dishes Bourguignon is it's stew it's yeah. stew curry at the end of the day in some ways is stew yeah But with the French sort of mentality in the Brigade system, it was about consistency, consistency, consistency. This is how you're meant to have it. This is how it's meant to be eaten. This is how it's meant to taste. Yeah. I threw that out the window.
0: I mean, I think there's something to be said about respecting tradition. Absolutely. And like, like, you know, setting that into... Some kind I mean, of that's how p- I learned p- how to cook was yeah. was
1: reading the Escoffier book and yeah. reading the like Larousse Gastronomique book. Like I, there's something to it. Don't get me yes, wrong. Yes, absolutely.
0: But I think at the same time, like, who cares if as long as it's delicious and it's made with love? Well, that know? depends on where
1: you're dining, honestly. Yeah. Like,
0: what? How are you marketing yourself? It's how you're marketing yourself.
1: Yeah. You know, if you if you want to be an angry chef, you don't want to say that your food's made with love. You want to say that it's made with rage. <laughs> um, but with me, it's. I try to make sure that people taste love in the dishes because, and I, and I tell my kitchen this, I'm like, if you're upset, if you're having a bad day, people can taste that because I've been to very, very, very nice restaurants at very, very, very nice invitations where I felt very, very, very out of place. Mm. And I've had beautiful meals. I can't remember that. I don't
0: like fancy restaurants. If I'm being honest, I I don't feel comfortable there. It it was devoid
1: of feeling.
0: Yeah.
1: It was beautiful. It was beautifully executed absolutely stunning on the plate it looked like i was about to eat an art piece <laughs> i can't tell you what i eat
2: yeah
1: i can't and, I, and that is like that was one of those moments where i was just like oh it's more than just food mm-hmm. it's experiential and that's what's like the restaurant part of it the restaurant is the experiential part of it because yeah. food is food yeah but the restaurant is the vehicle for the
0: experience yes yes uh, so so you're having these dinner parties and In which we're experiencing, creating these experiences, people teaching people about your culture and how to do it right, and showing them the and way, and how
1: to enjoy it, yeah. how to enjoy something unfamiliar. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's sometimes it's a challenge to get someone to take one bite.
0: So when when did this go from having people over to eat and show them and share your culture to maybe we can make them like a, a buck with this? Maybe we can charge for it. This.
1: Was it wasn't as much? Maybe we can charge for this. It was how do I get people out of my house?
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were too good at making friends.
1: <laughs> I was like this is not sustainable in any way shape or form. I'm so like, too many
0: people were showing up.
1: Exactly. It was just it was to the point that I was like I don't know some of these people at all. Yeah. And like some guy came in. Some guy came in and he's like, "Oh, I just heard there is good food here." I'm like, "You showed us somebody you don't know's house on a Sunday morning because you heard there would be good food." Did he you goes, feed him? Yeah, of course. He that's brought, hospitality. He sister. brought champagne because he heard that I like champagne.
0: But that is also the, like, the that is like the.
1: But that's also the core of Sri Lankan being too. Yeah. Is that that hospitality is something that isn't just southern, that isn't just you know, it isn't just dining. It is it is fully embedded into our culture as yeah. Sri Lankans.
0: Yeah, it doesn't get any more warm and generous than that. Right. In, in terms of hospitality, And it's like
1: you're in my home. You do not leave my home hungry.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I, otherwise I don't some passerby them. right I'm like hey you hungry come here <laughs> so, <laughs> I would do that in the tent back in the day so
0: it just got to the point where your your four walls of your home couldn't handle the volume they were too the small the, were too your small. personal home kitchen couldn't handle the I volume I
1: mean I was living in a like a I think that house was 1500 1700 square feet total
0: and uh, the, the gold toilet couldn't handle the gold the toilet volume. could not handle all the guests <laughs> and if
1: you have a gold toilet that can't handle the guests <laughs> then you know that you're in trouble yeah.
0: um, so six months this is when you reach this point and yeah, how many months. people would be in your house? Give me 44. A, 44 people. Wow.
1: Yeah. 44 people. Wow. Uh, that was the, that was the biggest count that was in February, 2016, 20,
0: February, 2016.
1: And so I went to the bar that night and cause I would always take a plate to my bartenders yeah. because you know, again, you're hanging out, you're hanging out at the local watering hole, making friends. And I was complaining to him and actually his partner is my general manager. Now I've known them for ages and so I was telling him, I was like, man, I can't get these people out of my house. And he goes, we can't get a food truck at this bar to save our lives. Hmm. And then I started thinking. And I'm like, well, what would it take if I were just to do food here for a day? At just this, this to bar. say that I would do it. Hmm. Would I have to buy a truck? Would I have to buy this? I didn't have to buy anything but a tent from Walmart.
2: Hmm.
1: It was awesome. Yep. You know, my, my restaurant, I bought the entirety of my restaurant in one day. It was electric fryers, a couple of crock pots, a butane stove, and pop-up tables, and an $80 canopy tent that you see out at All 2K. in,
0: ballpark. How, how
1: much $572. Wow. And that's including licensing, training, all that
0: stuff. I didn't know about the whole marketing branding thing, too, so I'm really excited about this because, and I don't want to put too much into your head, but like... A restaurant can start today with as simple as an idea.
2: Yeah. And because, that's what happened.
0: Because you can take that idea and you can put it online. Yeah. And you can share the vision. You can share the brand. You, you can, can crowdfund it. Yes. Uh, and that doesn't cost much either. For and no. Especially when you're a husband and you yourself specialize in developing websites. Yeah. You know, like. It's like, okay, I'm going to leverage
1: Instagram to tell people where I am, I'm going to leverage word of mouth to tell people where I am because it was clearly effective in getting people to come to my house. Yeah. And so I'm going to leverage all these things. And then if people find me,
0: awesome. Right. Were you thinking about building a list at this point? Were you that? Because, I mean, you're savvy. You're a marketer. You know the world of marketing. You're like, I'm going to start collecting emails. No, no no no, okay. no, 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 no,
1: no. because I only thought it was going to happen once. Okay. I thought we would do it once that maybe 15 people would show up because they knew I was there. They would pat me on the head. They'd say, you did a great job. And then we'd pack it up and we'd never do
0: it again. Knowing what you know now, knowing that you were eventually going to open a restaurant, what would you have done differently at that starting from that point to like really build the list?
1: You know, I am very strange about digital marketing these okay. days because I think that there is a massive amount of fatigue every day. I get about 18 different emails from something <laughs> that I've gone to once uh. and I didn't want to be that person. So if you're actually on my, the the only one that I curate, we have like a MailChimp and all these things that, you know we use with our partners, but the only thing I actually curate is a Substack, okay. and I've had it for a couple of years. And you know how many things I've sent out on that Substack? Just just guess. Five, three. Wow, so close. Yeah, <laughs> prices, right?
0: Rules. I, I'm over. <laughs> uh. um, so. And so
1: it's like if there's something major going on, I'll use that. Otherwise, it was all Instagram posts and cultivating that sort of follower thing. Yeah, and we had a hashtag from day one. That was Dolly Parton needs for free. Oh, nice. <laughs> and it's still the hashtag. I love that. But, um...
0: This is why I try not to lead my guests too much. Because sometimes I swing and I miss. But I mean, if you are a list building person, if you're doing direct mail marketing, this is an opportunity. It is
1: absolutely. And you're collecting them through your point of sale. You're using, like I was using Square at the time.
0: No matter where your pop-up ends up, you bring Mm -hmm. them with you. You can keep keep them posted as to where you're going next.
1: And I didn't realize that I had a pop-up at that point. I thought I was just serving food for a day as blessed by the city of
0: Lexington's health department. But when the time comes to open a brick and mortar, you're going to have this foundation of Mm -hmm. people that you're and i you. did
1: yeah and i did yeah. you know and it's i think if i were looking back at it and, and starting it all over again um i would invest in really really good boots because i've had <laughs> moments where my ankles have been in the mud from sinking oh man um i've yeah i would invest in in very breathable get but what, warm clothing
0: you get what my grandmother would call rubbers exactly yeah Oh yeah, but they she had to just be confused warm. Some people in the day, man. It had to be
1: warm, like wellies or something. But like they would have to be warm, and like we would freeze. We were setting up every Friday night.
0: Yeah. yeah. In the middle of the fall. So, um, what were the biggest challenges early on? With, with <laughs> like, what, what, what were the things like? Knowing what you know now, prep again. Prep
1: space. Yeah, give
0: give the prep listeners like some space. warnings so they do choose this path. What do you mean by press prep space? Prep
1: space. So as a pop up, you need to be preparing your food in a licensed commercial kitchen. Did you get in trouble? I didn't because I was always, I got the rule book and I made sure I was going to follow whatever they put out there because if anyone's going to get in trouble, it's the chick cooking ethnic food.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it's not just the $500 for the, 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 the actual things that cook on site. You, to legally do it, you need a commercial space.
1: Yeah. I mean, that 572 included the rental of that space too. Oh, did it? Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. So what, what was the rental? Do you remember?
1: Uh, I paid... 75 bucks the first time. And then I found a place that would only charge me 10 bucks an hour if I also did meal prep for them. Okay. And so I would cut vegetables for 10 bucks an hour and then I would turn it around into prep space that I'm paying them 10 bucks an hour for. Oh, cool. So it was essentially a wash, which was fine. Nice. Because I needed a place that had a commercial fridge that had, and then I had to get something called a commissary license that meant I could transport hot food from there to the tent as opposed to cooking it all from cold
0: any like hard lessons learned in terms of prep space Mm.
1: Uh, many so it took me a while to find that place Um, it took me a long time to actually find somebody who would let me prep on a regular basis Um, people will make promises that they will help you and they will be the first to boot you out because I had somebody who was so enthusiastic about my food so enthusiastic to learn all these things And then all of a sudden, I had prep space lined up for this huge event. They go, oh, you can't have it today. I'm like, why not? And they're like, well, we booked an event. And so I'm like, so now what? And they're like, sorry. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, the health department is supposed to come visit me here. Now I have to find somewhere to go. What do I do? It's between that and like figuring out like oil disposal, everything that you need to do. You're essentially setting up an entire restaurant in one night.
0: Yeah. Did you keep that prep space after that day? No. What was the, so what was the, the next step for you in terms of like protecting yourself from that happening again? Well,
1: I I eventually found the place that let let me be there, but I was asking everybody. Yeah. I put up something, I put up a thing on the internet. I put up a a wanted ad. I was just like, look, and there are people who were offering prep space, but at exorbitant, exorbitant prices because they're like, she doesn't have an option. Hmm. And that's what happens a lot of times with pop-ups is that they know you don't have an option. So they'll use that to, yeah, they'll use your desperation to make it back. And there is an operator around here that was like that. And now he don't like me too much cause I didn't use a space and I was still yeah, successful. At least,
0: at least you're not saying his name. <laughs> no, but he knows. Yeah. Um, but so, it's
1: just like there, there are people like that. And, and that's the thing. I don't have to say his name because yeah. there are people like that in every town.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So w- so this is the struggle. Eventually when did you find your space and how was it different? How do you how did you protect yourself from something like that happening again?
1: Uh I started cooking really late at night.
0: Okay. Yeah. At... At a, another commercial kitchen, where in
1: the in the place where I was meal prepping, okay. I would do my prep from ten to two.
0: Okay, so now you're not competing for this. No, um, I was not competing. The-
1: I was not interrupting anything. I wasn't disrupting any regular service. It was a catering kitchen. And how often
0: were you doing it at this point? Once a week. Once a week. Still so yeah. once a week. What day of the week? Friday. Friday, uh, and you're doing. Then is it like is it sandwiches or like what's your food? at this We point?
1: did. When we started out, our first menu had spare ribs, um, cutlets, which are essentially fish and potato croquettes that are super spicy and delightful in Sri Lanka, um, vade, which is still on our menu as lentil fritters, and meatballs and pineapple. I was not doing any fried stuff at that point. I don't think. No, I wasn't. I, the only, I was only frying the fritters to order, and that was and, it.
0: And how do things go? Wild, yeah. So from six months into how long were you at this spot?
1: Uh, I prepped there for about a year and a half. So in 2017, I prepped there. Actually, I prepped there into 2018. 2018, and so that they kept me for about a year in the same bar. Uh, I started at one bar. I was there mostly, and then I would go to other breweries. So when we were naming the business, we got together over a big pitcher of margaritas, and we just tossed out names and tuk tuk stuck because it was mobile. Mm. It was small, it was mobile. And a lot of people thought that I had a truck or anything like that. I never did. I had a I had an Acura sedan. And then eventually I got a pickup truck that I could transport the tent in. But it was never, you know, a mobile food operation aside from being a tent where we would set up. I wasn't taking my trailer like I'd have to do everything that day.
0: So what was the next point of evolution for you?
1: Um I got a pretty big boost from Jamie Bisnet actually. Um, he had told Edward Lee that I was cooking and that he needed to come check it out and so Edward reached out um, and he also knew Stella Parks who's a very dear friend of mine and she is an excellent pastry chef and they had both talked me up to him and he was like why don't you come do a pop-up at 610 Magnolia's Wine Studio I said "All right." now internally I'm freaking out because again I've only been in a catering kitchen on mostly household equipment in the big kitchens, they wouldn't let me in. They didn't want me in there. There's enough chatter of, well, the, she just decided that she wanted to cook one day. There's enough chatter that's trying to be denigrating to what I'm trying to do. And at this point, I just want to cook food.
0: Yeah. And I think this, when I say restaurant unstoppable's mission is to change the world through inspiring power and transforming the restaurant industry, I think it's this type of stuff. When mm-hmm. I talk about transformation of the industry, yeah. we can go so much further. We together. can go so and deep into that. We look we at people like Jamie Bisonet and yeah, we go amazing. like. It must be nice to be Jamie, you know. Like he's got it all. Like he must be nice, you know. Like, like he's there's got the a awards, click. He's got this. There's a click. Yeah. And I'm not one of the cool kids, and right? I, but you know. But, but Jamie, I
1: have that moniker now, too. They're like, oh, she's one of the cool kids. I'm like, I'm really not. I'm a big dork.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think the point is, it's like, it's like Jamie didn't get to where he is because he's an asshole exactly. and clicky. He got there because he helps people. And and he works and, his ass off. Yeah, and Andy works so talented and, and yeah. such a hard worker. That, of course. But he
1: has a vision. Yeah. And he, he entrusted himself to carry that vision. And he didn't shit on people along the way that would essentially take him out of it. Now, I look at other people... Like It was actually pretty funny. Maybe about four months after I started my tent, a handful of folks that had experience in the culinary industry were like, well, if she can do it, I can do it. It did not go well for them. It did not go well for them at all. And it's because
0: they were assholes. Yeah. I mean, I just easier again easier said than done sometimes we realize we don't realize when we're being an asshole right right so, but, but at the same time if you can just just have this mindset of abundance and just mm-hmm. like seeing like you know like i'm gonna try to help this person there's I'm gonna plenty connect that out person there for all of us so everyone's Jamie, gotta eat exactly and uh, and just having that mindset but as soon as you get cynical it starts to come mm-hmm. back around it's just it bad energy you know
1: it is it's a mindset honestly yeah. it's a and this became a mindset of okay i haven't done this before i'll give it a shot let's see how it goes yeah and and that's honestly how. So I said, all right. So you the, were in Magnolia, you said. Uh, at 610 Magnolia, six ten Magnolia. That's Edward. That's Edward Lee's. Like that's his. That is his. Oh god, that restaurant is so
0: good. He's on my radar. Uh, so I, when I first, because I, I connected with your publicist, I think he also represents Edward. And I, I was uh, she of,
1: she did for a bit. I she, think sorry. they uh, they worked All together for names. a long. Yeah, they've us. worked together for a very long time. They yeah. they've worked together for a long time.
0: So uh, I would love to get Edward on the yeah. show too. Wink wink. Nod, he nod. is a he is a
1: very interesting <laughs> human being, in and yeah. that like he's just Edward has stories that blow my mind. Just of like when he was bartending in New York, when he was you know in his twenties.
0: He does law for the community too. From what he I does. Understand. Edward is I a, mean, you're a perfect example. Total softy. Yeah. Total soft. Yeah. Just like opening up his space to you. Yeah. Right. So that's where we left off is he opened his space to you. Mm-hmm. You, you cooked there. And, and I happens?
1: cooked there Well, I cooked there and I was walking in, I was driving all my ingredients up. I, w- I used to travel around with a crate. Now I have a cute little rolling suitcase with all my spices in it. It's kind of a thing. Um, but I, I showed up there with a crate and then his, ex- as executive chef at the time, Kevin Ashworth, um, help me set up and was like okay chef what do I need to do and no one had ever asked me that before I was always the only one cooking I was like I don't know I was just gonna cook and he's like do you got your prep list?" I'm like I got stuff that I gotta do written down like I'm not expecting I didn't walk in there <laughs> expecting any help and then I had three people who were like oh no we'll help you and I'm That's like off. what it blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind because, like, I'm walking into this space that's been nominated for awards, that's been on TV. That honestly, like, the meal that I had there that night, I still think about some of those bites. Like, a really good bite is something that sticks with me, especially when it is accompanied with a really. Tell you good what, experience. that sandwich is going to stick with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we get you. Uh, yeah. Um, but that night, it was just such a special experience because. They put me in charge, and I didn't know what I was doing. And their, their confidence and their support really made that a successful dinner. And without that day, I don't know if I would have had the faith in the industry that I do. Mm. Because that was kindness.
0: That was hospitality. Yes great spot to take a break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to talk about how things went next. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's Total Oil Management automates your entire cooking oil process. With Total Oil Management, you get dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery, filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting, easy oil disposal, used cooking oil pickup and recycling, and say goodbye to those messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal, storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. RTI's services are not limited to oil. They also provide insurance premiums and automated hood cleaning solutions plus hood filtration systems, making your hood cleaning process easy, automatic, and worry-free. In addition to all this, Restaurant Technologies, Inc. can help you reduce your carbon footprint, which we all know is becoming increasingly more important to the consumer. Restaurant Technologies, Inc. is always on... So, you don't have to be. To learn more, head to RTI Inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs ten thousand dollars a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no cost to you sixty day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back during the sixty days. Fred will walk you through the restaurant systems pro process and help you crush the following goals, recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts and seats. And that's not it. P. That's R-S-P for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash R-S-P. We're back. We're back. We have glass of wine. We have
1: glasses of wine. We're going to cheers.
0: Cheers. Well done with the noise effects, because we are across the table from each other to make room for the camera angles. <laughs> uh, and when we You're not the...
1: supposed to tell them how the sausage is made.
0: I'm fully transparent, painfully <laughs> transparent. Uh, so... When we left off, you um, you were kind of paying homage to Edward Lee and how he helped get you started. and How you in that moment, it became a thing. You know, chefs hosting a pop up, yeah,
1: became a thing.
0: And this is kind of the strategy of how to grow your brand, right? Exactly. So now you you start to you work the network. You go to this restaurant, exactly. to that restaurant. As you,
1: sometimes a chef will come in and say, "Hey, I had your food here. Would you want to come do something with us?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." Oh, a crunchy totally. cookie. Is it too crunchy?
2: No, I'm just going to be away from the microphone.
1: Yeah, this batch came out a little bit crunchy. So, normally our cookies no, are too, super don't. chewy, but this batch came out crunchy. And so I was like, crunchy cookies? Okay. I feel like we need glasses do of milk. N- I too. do
0: not discriminate on cookies. They can be crunchy, They're good they can cookies. be soft. They're good cookies. All these cookies. are
1: suitable for, these are very good dunking in milk cookies. Yeah. Sorry for derailing no uh, you. That's okay. Mess. That's okay. It's all about cookies. But yeah. so. As is with cookies. When you have a good cookie, you you get very excited about it. And people would have these, you know, really great experiences in our pop-ups. And so another Louisville restaurant would open up. Or a spot here would open up and say, hey, why don't you take over the menu in Lexington at this place that actually has a kitchen? I'm like, that's way easier than schlepping a tent around. Mm -hmm. Because that's a lot of work. Doing dishes at three o'clock in the morning, trying to figure out where the hell you're going to put all the oil that you use to fry things because you don't have an oil disposal unit at your house. Like it's just I was running around like a cat burglar at one point dumping oil into like people's recycling things. And I was like, I know they're going to get paid for this, but I still feel weird. So
0: But, so, but I love the hustle and like the, the level of creativity that goes into just starting, like, yeah, if you want it bad enough, just start and you'll figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what happened. So biggest lessons that like you didn't know that kind of just happened that you could pay forward as far as like, <laughs> if you did this intentionally, you might get there a little faster.
1: Figure out where you're going to dispose of your oil. Yeah. Um, have a system for that because it is not fun to get hot oil on yourself at any way, nope. shape, or form. Um, obviously, having the prep space lined up is, is huge because – and it's going to depend on the regulations where you are. Here, they're actually kind of strict. But they want to make sure that everyone's safe. I get that. Make sure that you're done. You don't want to make anyone sick. Nobody, nobody wants to have their experience of a pop-up being like,
0: well, I made all these people sick. sick. That would right. suck. So at what point, like, this is still a side hustle for you, right?
1: Um, by that point, by October. So the first pop-up was in April of 2016. By October, I'd quit my job. Wow. Yeah. I was just like, I'm going to see where this goes.
0: So- how often were you doing pop-ups in October?
1: Uh, I was still on like every week to every other week.
0: Once a week. And you were making yeah. enough money from one pop-up. To, to,
1: yeah. To I there. mean, hi, we live in Kentucky. Yeah. It's, you, you know, also have a, a partner. Which I helps. have a partner. We had, you know, it helps a lot yeah. having the part. So I'm going to jump back to 2014 for a second. And he had gotten super sick in 2014. Uh, he's actually been in remission for about eight years now. He had a little bout with stage three cancer. And that became the moment where I was like, okay, if you're gonna do something and you're gonna give it a shot, give it a shot because life
0: is too short. Is remission the point where we say congratulations? Yes, congratulations, congratulations, Chris. Yeah, Chris. That's awesome. it's happy to hear we're
1: that. proud of him. He is almost about to hit year eight. Good for him. Of, uh, you know year nine. Actually, we're wrapping up year eight. And he's been clear since. So he had a pretty gnarly tumor, and um, there was a lot of chemo, a lot of radiation, a couple surgeries, and then you know they gave me back. It gave me back my husband, and he's okay. And we stay ahead of it now. It's a genetic component to it, yeah. And so he's actually kind of volunteered all of his stuff in for all the genetic component studies at UK because it's traceable to one region in Appalachia. Really, it's wild. That's wild. It's just wild. I'm like, how did they? What in the mutative gene? uh, Well, yeah, between that and coal being as huge of a part. Also potentially being a part Crazy of the water, op- yeah. and then it's that all connected contamination being a source of folks getting these mutations, which then pass oh. down, and down. So,
0: so tie the thought together. So, I we're so talking-
1: when you are sitting there and you know you've got somebody who's looking down their own mortality, and they say to do it, you do it yeah. because. It's some you know, it's one of those moments where he didn't have any notice that this was gonna happen. It just turned his life upside down. Yeah. And he handled it with grace and he handled it calmly. You know, he had a very good sense of you think of people going through chemo and radiation. He had thirty days straight of chemo and radiation at the same time. Mm-hmm. And he had a good mood about it. He oh. stayed positive. And he's like, All right, I just have to take a couple more naps And I'm like, Okay um, I don't know, you know, just making sure we stay away from everyone. I mean, sure it puts things away, into so. perspective, you it, know, very sharp perspective yeah. because all of a sudden it becomes, well, is this is a survival mm. thing now. This is a survival mechanism.
0: So for you, what you were doing with the pop-up was that survival? Or are you saying um, that
1: was me giving it a shot? You know, it
0: was, So he, but at this point, keep in mind, this is, Two years after he's, the first two years he was yeah. in remission.
1: And we thought that the first pop-up was going to be weird and under, you know, we didn't expect that we would make our money back the first date.
0: Well, I think what I triggered this is that you, I said you have a partner and that makes yeah. things easier. It does. So,
1: but it's his encouragement okay. that made me take the leap Got it. because again, he was staring all that stuff down, down the barrel essentially. And he's like, no, go do it. And so I'm like, well, if you're saying that I should go do it, then yeah. maybe I should give it a shot. Yeah. And then, you know, it became, okay, we sold out the first night. We'll do it one more time. And then we won't have to do it again. And we sold out the second night. And we sold out the third
0: night. And this is in October.
1: This is, this is early Or Or when
0: you're first starting. Okay. So, yeah, we a, sold out our first pop-up. Got, yeah, that's right. So um, in October, how are things different? Now you're all in. Now you quit your job. This is what not you No, I'm do. all in.
1: Now I'm just like, you know what? I'm cooking for a living. I'm part-time prepping. Do you things. mind talking Could about you? money? How much were you making?
0: Like, not like, much Not much? Like, I, I'm, I was I'm curious making about the
1: economics. Enough. I was making enough. I basically put it in frame of, I need to be able to make my payment on the car okay.
0: with us, And this is a truck.
1: Well, this was, yeah, uh, it grew to, uh, I bought a pickup truck in 2017.
0: We're talking like a 250, 150. <laughs> a
1: Honda Ridgeline. Oh, nice. It's it's like the Yoshi's cookie of trucks. It's yeah.
0: great. <laughs> I actually looked into the Honda Ridgeline as, uh, to see what their I towing capacity is. love They're it. cool, but they don't have a great towing they capacity. They don't have
1: a great towing capacity, yeah. but they do have a cooler in the trunk. Oh, that's convenient. That's exceptionally convenient. Yeah. For yeah. sure,
0: they have plugs in the, in the the bed too, right? And the nicer ones, oh, okay. they all
1: have the cooler. They don't all have the plugs.
0: I was going to say that could be convenient too. That was
1: exceptionally convenient yeah. of a car. I was just like, man, Honda, just call me, just give me one. I will make it. I will turn it into the cutest little restaurant.
0: So in translation, you're just looking to cover your liabilities.
1: Exactly, cover my food cost. Eventually, I had to hire one person to help me out for frying, cover their expenses, and then cover my liabilities, and then make sure that you know. I'm not hating my life at the end of the day. Yeah, pretty simple. Yeah, easier to do with a pop up. Much easier to do with a pop up than it is to do with a restaurant.
0: Well, you're two months into your first restaurant right now. I know. Easier, or is it more than two months? Three months? We're not even.
1: uh, We open September twenty second.
0: So almost three months. Almost two months. Almost two months. Wow. Jeez.
1: Yeah. We're babies. I
0: know. But I can't wait because it's so fresh. I love the, the talk about the freshness <laughs> of it because you're going through it right now. So it's like... Absolutely. You, it's it's near and dear. But this... You know?
1: I mean, a lot of this vision I, I did see at different points of the journey. I was like, if I... Eventually it became going from kitchen to kitchen to kitchen. And we are very much enjoying this wine. Um, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> But it, eventually it became going from kitchen to, kitchen to kitchen to kitchen to kitchen. And then I realized that somehow in like the last four years alone, I've been in about 100 different professional kitchens at least.
0: Wow. I mean, I, I, as somebody who travels the country doing pop-up interviews, yeah. I can I, I can relate to the wear and tear of set up, break down, set up, break down. Which is why I'm trying to get an RV right now so I can just have my studio where... I mean I would still do but like anyway that's the whole lot we're here to focus on you um, but I can relate to where you're going you can get it can out it's a you. lot yeah.
1: it's a lot you know it's when you're setting up your whole thing you have you have multiple cameras you have a mixing situation you have microphones you have a laptop you have all these things to think of yeah. now think of that in terms of food and food safety mm-hmm. because you can't just show up with a thing of raw chicken and keep it out you need to make sure that you're keeping it at certain temperatures so you right. don't hurt anybody yeah and you know, it's
0: talk about adaptability. Exactly. Yeah. So
1: doing that in a restaurant and somebody else's restaurant was so much easier than me doing it in the tent. Right. And I was just like, you know what? We're gonna get. I had to have. I mean, my body was falling apart at that point too. Yeah. Because I had had I'd had had two leg of surgeries after the first year of the pop up. Oh no. Yeah. Because. My legs would swell and then they wouldn't unswell. So it's something called compartment syndrome that typically only happens to people in car accidents. And so they had to release the pressure in my legs. So now I have like really cool looking shark bites on both legs. Um, I, I just tell people I got into it. They're like, "What happened to your leg?" I'm like, "Got into a fight surfing. with a shark." <laughs> yeah, got into a fight with a shark in Kentucky. Yeah, you should see the shark. Exactly. You should see the other guy. Um, But, you know, after that, it was just like, okay, this, you know, this showing up and setting up everything at night as one person is not sustainable. Yeah. So what is sustainable if I'm choosing this route? What can I do to make sure that I'm going to survive this and survive this in a way that means that my business will grow in the way that I want it to in the spaces that I want it to grow in? You know, I I cooked at a bar called Best Friend Bar, which was just a little galley kitchen attached to a, a dive bar. And one of the bartenders came in today and he's just like, this is such a long way from where we were. It's just insane. But you all gotta start somewhere. Right? But you just have, keep up. You just have to start.
0: It's something that's kinda what you did is you started just to cover your liabilities and then you grew to just be able to cover your liabilities.
1: Yeah, it's just now, you know, now I have different liabilities. Yeah. I have I have rent to cover, I have staff to cover, I have food costs to but cover. But
0: you didn't go straight for rent on Correct. day one. You, you built the clientele, you built the cash flow. I, I had
1: would... to make sure that the demand would be there. Mm-hmm. Opening this place wouldn't have happened if it weren't for a couple of things. It's, is there the demand? Is there the staff? Can I see myself doing this for seven years straight?
0: So there was the demand. I'm yeah. assuming you could see yourself doing it for seven years straight.
1: I mean, at that point, I, I'm doing it in everyone else's kitchen. What about mine? Like, yeah. I got so excited when I found out I could have a shelf. <laughs> that was mine. So the little things you take for yeah, I hands. have a locker. Yeah. You have no Running idea how water. Excited. Yeah. <laughs> Running water, a roof over your head, yes. gas. Right. you want have to switch out a propane tank in the middle of the A freezer?
0: A freezer. We have two It's magic. We have a
1: walk in. Wow. We have a walk in refrigerator and when it came in, they put it all together and then after the after the instruction uh the uh Installation team left. I just walked around in the walk in and started giggling because, like, it, the walk in was bigger than my damn restaurant, man. <laughs> like, I was in a 10 by 10 tent. It's bigger than the bed of your truck. It's bigger than the bed <laughs> of my truck. It's huge. You know, I can stand up in it. Um, but it's, it's wild to think that, you know, like, I have the ability to have backups of things. I'm not selling out all the time. It's not impossible to keep up with the demand. I'm not dealing with a two hour line of people wanting fried chicken where I can't feed them. Yeah. And,
0: so yeah. so, as you're like you're all in now, and like you're having these thoughts, you're like you're asking yourself these questions. What were the well, challenges? Well, everyone like asked if I was going to open a restaurant. I said no. This is 2017. Yeah, in 2017. Part. I was like no. October 2017, <laughs> and so,
1: then fast forward into 2018, more community lifts me up higher. Hmm. I meet up with the chefs who do brown in the south, and they take me along for that ride. So in 2018, all of a sudden. My little food tent is now talking to Food & Wine magazine about the food that I make. As a home-taught pop-up, I cook in a tent from Walmart cook. And I'm sitting here talking to Food & Wine about how I'm trying to marry Southern culture with my South Asian culture. I love that. And it's just like, I had this moment of like, what in the hell?
0: What? dive into like what what is the what in the hell what is the actual like what is the feeling like like what's going on
1: what I made food to get me to this with all these people that I've seen and admired from afar for ages yeah you know it's it's wild when when Manit Shohan walks up to you at a pop-up at the beginning of 2018 and says hey I heard you're the one who does Sri Lankan food I know exactly who you are don't quit I'll Mm. find you I'm like okay And that was one of those moments where, like, at the beginning of 18, I was wondering, is this sustainable? Is this going to be a life? Do I need to go back to tech?
0: And she is in media. Is she's
1: what? huge. She is a chef in Nashville, but okay. she's also a judge on Chopped and Tournament Champions. Oh, okay, okay. She is probably the Energizer Bunny of the entire food world. I've never seen someone with so much. I don't energy. really
0: get caught up in the TV stuff in the food world.
1: She's amazing because I'm she's. Sure if I had, saw her face, I might recognize her. She's had like decades of industry experience before she got into the TV side mm-hmm. of things. So, a girl can cook, and she can
0: cook real well. Yeah.
1: And her food is just it's like a big, warm hug,
0: so you're just creating brand awareness at this point. Mm-hmm. People I'm are creating brand awareness you. you're on the radar
1: I'm meeting people I'm making connections, and then all of a sudden, my little recipe. One year later, in 2019, ends up on the cover of Food and Wine. So,
0: in terms of process and growth and evolution, as far as what you're doing, things haven't really changed at this point.
1: Well, I mean, I became a recipe developer all of a sudden because okay. I had to write recipes for people.
0: How do you monetize that?
1: Um, you sell the recipes to people.
0: <laughs> but like, I mean, like maybe we're doing something unique. Like, I think the other thing that's worth bringing to the table is that you were doing something very unique. Yes. Sri-, Sri Lankan food hadn't.
1: By the time that we had opened, I was only the tenth representation of it that was open in the country.
0: There's something to be said about juxtaposition and standing out. And, yeah. that, and if you have something... Big into, fish, it, small pond. Yeah. Like, if you are different, don't be afraid of that. No. Lean into it.
1: You have to. Yeah. Everybody, everybody can make a sandwich. Yeah. What makes that sandwich yours? Yeah. That's what are you bringing to the table that's worth cultivating?
0: Right. And I feel like the media especially, because they, they're always looking for something different. Like they're trying to catch yeah. the next different thing. They're trying it's to new. catch
1: the next different thing while also turning it into a competition show. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, so I guess what was the next big tipping point for you? What was the next the next struggle for you? For, like, because you kind of figured it out at this point. Like, you have your pop up humming. You're, you, you have media's reaching out. You like process brand awareness is happening. So your, your your revenue is coming from the actual revenue from the pop ups themselves. You're, you're doing and from
1: recipe development. Recipe
0: development. Um, what do we need to know about, like what's what's that look like? Give us an idea of like what's possible there and like what to expect and like what the value of a recipe is and how to like protect our, our intellectual property.
1: Well, I mean, you can't copyright a recipe, which kind of sucks um, because you know otherwise we would all. Be, I mean, now we have the problem where AI has been scraping books and people are finding their own content being served back to them and generated stuff, and you know that's a whole can of worms that I don't even know how to deal with, but. I wanted to make sure that when I was asked to do something when I was asked to do something that was out of my wheelhouse for example doing this recipe on the Brown and the South dinners um, the first one that I had written wasn't going to work because one of the ingredients was hard to source and so they asked me what sounds good and I was like well what about because roasted curry powder in Sri Lanka is the thing I was like what about using roasted curry powder in a tomato pie and they went for it and I went shit i have developed that now <laughs> well
0: that's the fun of it too sometimes it's like coming up with an idea and exactly. playing with it
1: but you don't you don't give them you know when you're developing a recipe you don't just say i put all these things in it here you go i wanted to make sure that i made it foolproof i wanted to exceed the expectations of that editor who was going to have to read that recreate it and make it so foolproof that he could do it like i do it yeah and so that's like, that so is working up to a yeah. standard. You have to set a high standard if you want to cross over into other things. Yeah. Yeah. Someone asks you for a recipe, don't just throw a post-it note at them. Put Actually, a work into Put it. some work into yeah. it. That work and that work ethic will carry you further than, you know, paying a PR company. Mm. People will get to know you by reputation. That's why I-, I didn't hire PR until after I got nominated for an award because I didn't know how to handle that. I was just like, I don't have the time to handle that. I'm in the process of trying to open this restaurant. I just signed a lease. Nobody knows I signed a lease yet. Like this is insane. Yeah. And you know, when you sit there and you think of all the things that you can do, people are like, Oh, I'm going to hire this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm like nine times out of 10, it's about you rising up to the challenge ahead. That's all it is. It's you've just got to
0: do it. Yeah. Again, that hard, that easy and that hard, right? Yeah. Like one of my core values here at Restaurant Unstoppable, two, two I think that are worth bringing to the table is integrity, doing what you say you're going to do, mm-hmm. and we show up. Yeah. And it's just, just like...
1: The restaurant, the restaurant industry doesn't have the option not to show up. Sorry, we were going to dance for a second there. Um, the restaurant opportunity doesn't have the, have the ability to not show up. Yeah. You know, if you're going to open a restaurant, you're going to have to have food every day. You're going to have to make sure that the people are fed, that the people are happy. You know, you don't have an option if you want to turn a pop-up into a career. If you want to turn a pop-up into a career popping up in other people's restaurants, you can't show up without putting your best foot forward in every single way. You have to exceed expectations. Now, fortunately, the bar is on the ground. <laughs> in a lot of ways. You know, when I came in and I cooked for a pop-up, they are like, you know, chefs don't normally come in and do all this. And I'm like, yeah, but I got to take care of my food. This is my product. This is me on this plate. Yeah. This isn't you on this plate. This is me. This is my vision. This is my dish. I have to own it. And it doesn't matter how many chef rows are sitting there yapping in my ear that I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm the one who's doing it, aren't I?
0: I mean, there's There's. something. There's, it takes a lot of discipline to know yeah. your vision, to know what you're doing, and to be you. You and,
1: have to know yourself on a level.
0: Yeah, uh, and that's one of the biggest lessons I learned. Like I had a lot of anxiety early in this podcast trying to figure out like what is the best way to open a restaurant? Like how do, if I'm putting my name on something and I'm telling people what to do, the best way is what works for you exactly. and what works for your budget. And that's the only thing I know to be true yeah. so far. 100% so, true is like you know, whatever works for you is the best way.
1: Exactly. So for full disclosure, we are sitting right now in a part of the restaurant that I call the snack easy and it is a speakeasy for snacks. And, um, this is roughly 12 seats. This is the restaurant I always wanted to open. This is. Mm. However, the snack shop has to cover all the bills. Right. The there's snack shop is what makes enough money to be a functioning
0: entity. There's what you have to do and what you want, want to, to, to do. do. Yeah. So and this is essentially,
1: if, if you have any Harry Potter nerds, this snack easy restaurant has become our room of requirement. And that it is whatever we need it to be. If I want to do an Italian pop-up, I can do it. If I want to do, you know, something completely. Oh my gosh, there's a snack coming to
0: me. More snacks. <sighs> well, how appropriate. that A snack just happened in the snack. What did it become? I just
1: got an order. It's the Sophia. It's actually named after David's dog. David is one of my sous chefs who has been coming up with a couple dishes here and there. And he decided that curry fries would be a good thing. Mm. And so I it's like got David chicken style. curry, a little bit of limes zest, salt, a little bit of curry which is a coconut garlic gravy, and some ball And it is—it looks really good. And they're really crunchy fries. And I'm very excited about this.
0: Oh man, <laughs> don't! I mean, we can pause for snacks. And Where are we? We're in the snack. What?
1: And we're in the snack easy.
0: The snack easy. And yeah. look what happens! It's like and a magic. It appeared. You say snack easy and snacks appear. That's that's magic. Mm-hmm. Good stuff.
1: You can hear the crunch. They're still crunchy. Get in there. Don't be shy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so while you're you're doing the t- the taste test, so what I'm interested in. Oh, and, hang on! Oh my goodness, there's more. Put that snacks in front of him.
1: him. Put that in front of him. He has just been presented with a plate of ribs. You see that? Almost lost it. Don't lose the ribs, my friend. So you need to try a rib while we're chatting. I hope.
0: Do you have ADD by any chance? Because I have horrible ADD. Eh, okay. <laughs> we will get through this interview, but this is totally worth... I don't know, like, my ADD is on fire right now. So the the, cookies, the, <laughs> the wine, cookies, the wine, the sandwich, the, the ribs.
1: You know, it's, we're, we're working from a place of abundance here. <laughs> so the snacks might as well be in abundance. The drinks are in abundance. The cookies. Some
0: none of these ribs?
1: Go ahead. I, I eat them more often than I'd like to admit, honestly. Oh, he's got a happy food face.
0: I think I know why you eat these more often than you would like to. <laughs> I'm practicing, practicing my um, Guy Fieri one big bite into the side of the mouth. Chew. That's impressive. I got a big mouth.
1: That's very impressive. I've, I I See, I do like the three little bites. And then if I really like it, I'll go in for more than three. Right,
0: I'm a chipmunk right now. So <laughs> I'm going to ask this question and I'm going to gnaw on this delicious, so good rib. Um. Take me through the evolution from 18, 2018, you have your pop-up dialed in.
1: Yep. Pop-up was killing it at that point.
0: Like, And you, you're you thinking to yourself, brick and mortar.
1: Mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. What, what, what were you thinking? I was thinking, how do I do this consistently where I'm on the road and cooking, but occasionally hosting things in town? So how do I have a home base without having a home base? I didn't want to open a restaurant.
0: So like a commissary? Mm-hmm.
1: So I wanted to like do a, a space commissar. that's
0: yours, but not a restaurant. Correct. And why didn't that work, or did it work?
1: Um, it would have worked. It's like at that eighteen nineteen point, we were looking at whether or not a restaurant would be viable and what it would take to make it viable. And I honestly, I wanted to own the building. I was oh, like, I'm tired right of throwing the rents out the window. Now I'm very glad that I don't own the building because I would have closed on the building that I was making an offer on for my commissary in February of 2020.
0: Oh, yeah. I see. <laughs> so Watch my out.
1: my pop-up is rolling along at this point. We are making I'm making more than I have in a while because I'm showing up in all these places and I get a take of what we sell. And we're selling a lot of food. And so Fast forward, end of 2019, Like I'm in Bon Appetit, and then there was a whole thing around that. I'm doing all of these different things. I'm having opportunities that I never saw before that I was just like, say yes if you feel it at all. Hmm. Don't say yes to everything, but if you feel it at all, say yes.
0: I think people get in trouble. What's common is they have this they have like the blinders on and mm-hmm. they have this vision. They want their brick and mortar. They're kind of like how I am with my RV right now. Yeah. I just want to get started. I just want to do this thing already. I'm driven. I want it to start. I want It makes impatience. Right?
1: You know, the opening of this restaurant is, I'm sure we'll get into this shortly. It's like that is very much a moment where you have to tamp down your expectations.
0: So what was going on? Like, what is your strength? What is going on within you to be able to su- suppress the desire to just be? Just act without really thinking about what you're doing.
1: Um, hmm. Opportunity. It was just like I had the opportunity to go cook in Boston. I had the opportunity to go cook in Alabama. I had the opportunity to go here, to go there. Did you
0: pop up in Boston with yeah. Jamie Bissnett?
1: No, I did one at Bukowski's Tavern oh, okay. on Dalton Street. Um, a pop-ups I've done. I've done one with Maymay. I'm overdue to do a pop-up So you scaled
0: the pop-up really is what, yeah, like what I happened is you started a local and you took the pop-up and yep. I, like I don't know anybody who I've had on the show who's developed and scaled the pop-up and leaned into the pop-up as much of you as you've leaned into the pop-up.
1: I mean, it's all I had. How do you scale a pop-up? Um, how do you scale a pop-up is like, What does that look like? You have to make food that's good enough that it's craveable for a crowd. Once the crowds come, then the opportunities follow straight behind.
0: So it starts with having a good product.
1: It starts with having a good product. And then
0: from your story, it sounds like it starts with networking, finding people. Um, I'm
1: probably one of the most obnoxiously well-networked people that you'll meet Yeah. because it's just, it's so easy for me to be like, okay, you do this, you yeah. go well with this person. Yeah. You know, that's, it's the maven. So what advice
0: of. do you have in, in networking? Feel free to pull that mic over. To, if you, if you I'm, want to. I'm, I was trying to sneak away and eat a cookie. Oh no, sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's like especially when you're surrounded by people that you respect, when they're speaking to you it's because they respect something that you're doing or you know, they're hosting you.
0: You also have something they want. So you, you have
1: person. something you have you have a marketable skill that is going to bring some sort of benefit to them in way, shape or form. You need to understand what <clears throat> excuse me, you need to understand what your benefit is. If you don't understand what your benefit is, if you don't know what your secret sauce is, if you don't know what makes your stuff, your stuff, you have no business making a business out of it.
0: What was your stuff? What was your benefit? What was your secret stuff?
1: Um, Mine is that I can pretty much combine Sri Lankan flavors with any cuisine Mm. and make something that I'm proud of. Mm. Now, nine times out of 10, I have to lean on somebody in those kitchens or lean on somebody with a little bit more skill to help me out. But for example, we were doing a pop-up at Bottega in Birmingham, Alabama. Bottega is an Italian place. There are no Sri Lankan Italian places out there. But you'll be damn sure that we did a crab curry ravioli and yeah. you'll be damn sure that it's sold out. Can I
0: just recognize your ability to put your ego aside and, and say this is what I'm good at and this is where I'm willing to take help from other people? And I think a lot you of people are afraid to, to admit you that. You cannot
1: good. operate yeah. with an ego if mm-hmm. you wanna open up a restaurant that is going to be if you want to be a sole proprietor with no investors, no investors, no crowdfunding, no nothing. I did this myself.
0: So, I'm also really interested in the the economics of a mobile pop up pop like you're you're a pop up pop up you're like going like you're, you know like exactly <laughs> you're a pop ups pop up you know, and like, then
1: you have to learn about invoicing and making sure that you do get
0: paid so you, at this point when I think you're when you're going to different markets, I'm sure you're you're getting more than just the revenue that you're selling on the food,
1: yeah, I would get some from. I eventually had to standardize my spice blends down because I would be somewhere like Martha's vineyard where I couldn't find a market to make anything happen. Hi, Marty. How are you? <laughs> I've got, I've got, so my employees did not know this was happening today. So it's been very funny to watch their facial expressions. <laughs> I,
0: I mean, I am in a restaurant. It is we are, we are up. part of the restaurant today. We are part of the restaurant today. Yeah.
1: But you know, if you're, if you're going to, oh, I forgot what I was saying.
0: <laughs> um, You were talking about the food and how it's hard to source ingredients. Yeah,
1: so it's hard to source ingredients. You're sitting in Martha's Vineyard. You need unroasted curry powder, ginger powder, all these things. You're not going to find that at the little market store or the fish store or anything like that. You're going to find some really amazing fish. But how are you going to make it yours? And so I need more than butter, salt, and pepper. I need more than you know, a handful of very common ingredients because Sri Lankan food is, is not re- well represented because it's very difficult to source all the things. Mm. You know, it's, I, I, I depend on the availability of fresh curry leaves purely like I, I grow my own
0: now. So I get that, that how you have to adjust your standards or just adjust your process.
1: But that means that I could make it consistent okay. from one place to another. And but that's the big thing.
0: I guess what I'm curious about, like, in the terms, if somebody wants to recreate what you've done, maybe they have like where they 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 recognize your value and say, "I see the same value. I have something unique too, and I think that I'm I, I like my what unique makes ability it is it
1: unique. And why is it unique coming from you?
0: Yes, yeah, so the story and like, yeah. the big picture and how do how do you brand I'm this? A how do you first market generation
1: this? Sri Lankan American yeah. woman who has no qualms with anything at this point. Own it. And I own it. I own who I am. I, I, I tell people I've got short, brown, and round on lock. And, you know, that's just me. You know, it's, I, I do have a big personality, but I also have skill.
0: So I guess what I'm curious, is it just the food or are you also do, selling your brand? Are you? Making, it's, a brand. Okay. it's a brand. It's a brand. It's 100% a brand. So how do we scale that? And How do we market that? And how do we, go, how do we make money doing that? It is very difficult to make
1: money doing that. You have to be willing to sacrifice so much. You know, I, I was spending roughly seventy five percent of the year on the road. Mm. I miss my family. I miss my dogs. I miss my husband.
0: It puts it's it's, not for everybody. Though.
1: It's not for everybody. It puts strain on all of your. It relationships. looks so sexy
0: from the outside looking. Oh out.
1: my god, my life looks so cool on Instagram, but really, I like to take naps and snuggle with my dogs. <laughs> like it's it is not easy. Yeah. and it's accepting that. And making those sacrifices an expected and a willing part of your journey. You have to be willing to sacrifice your sanity to go cook in somebody else's kitchen at three o'clock in the morning to get everything done. So you know that the food is right. You have to sacrifice a level of control. If you want to take help, you have to sacrifice some of your ego. If you don't know how to do something
0: how do we go about valuing ourselves and the service and the brand that we bring to an event or to a different city or to a magazine or to a rest? Like how how do we like even, what does that even look like?
1: I mean, it has to start organically, doesn't it? Yeah. You, you have to, I mean, there was, there have been moments where I've been completely down on myself and, and everybody has those. Everybody has those moments where like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? Anybody can do this and all that. And then you turn around And you look at what you do and you look at how you do it. And if you can look at that and be proud of it, that's where a lot of that drive is from. I started to realize that I was the only person taking a cuisine that I grew up eating to these, you know, I would go from Portland, Maine to Los Angeles in the span of a week. Yeah. And people wanted that. Now, did people want that because I was really great at posting pictures of it on the Internet? Maybe. Did people want it because they saw me cooking with so-and-so on some show? Maybe. Maybe but ultimately they wanted it because I was willing to put it out there in a manner that was consistent to every experience.
0: Got it. Um, was there a point in this evolution of learning how to scale your pop up where you're like, I'm not doing this right. I could do this better. Or like, mm-hmm. give every me time, an example of that.
1: Every time, every single pop up had a postmortem. Every single
0: one. What was the biggest aha moment? The biggest thing you started doing differently that had the biggest impact on? Oh, your-
1: carrying your spices. Oh my God, sourcing became so much easier. Mm-hmm. Because if you can just depend Customs on a place. Customs must have been interesting. <laughs> Never a dull moment. I didn't do it. I haven't done international yet. Okay, good. <laughs> I've only done national. I've, I've driven and I've flown a lot. Yeah, yeah, It's it's essentially, I would have to distill my kit down to my necessities. Yep. What do I need to make this perfect? Yeah. And you can't, you don't have a lot of room. You can't take the whole car with you. I had essentially have it scaled down to a 19-inch carry-on.
0: Do you see my outfit right now? Mm-hmm. T-shirt and pants. Mm -hmm. I used to dress up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> you see my outfit right now yeah. it's a jumpsuit and you yeah. know why I choose jumpsuit because you don't have to pick out pants yeah. and they have eating room it's, it's fantastic just,
0: Yeah, so I totally relate with everything you're saying yeah, right it's now. just Being how mobile. do you
1: make this how do you make this replicable in a way that honors your vision yeah. and it's you have to dial down to you the level to you. you have to make yeah. the sacrifices you have to decide what you're willing to do yeah. like for me when I was a solo thing I wouldn't do tasting tents because that's 600 portions for mm. one person to make now that I have the help, it's a bit different.
0: Yeah. So one more quick break to thank our sponsors. I want to start talking about where your, your restaurant is today and like what the big picture, the like business model, how you found this spot, why this spot. Why um, everyone thinks
1: I'm crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll find that out too. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and labor cost in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time on creating great guest experience Margin Edge combines purchases from your invoices and sales data from your POS, which allows you to get real-time costing, get a daily controllable P&L, and send information directly into your accounting system. Margin Edge integrates with 60-plus POS systems and dozens of accounting systems. Manage everything from one central location, inventory, recipes, plate costs, ordering, and bill pay. Margin Edge was created by restaurant people for restaurant people. And as a matter of fact, Margin Edge founders continue to operate restaurants to this day. Head to MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable. This episode made possible by Owner.com. Owner.com is the quickest and easiest way for your customers to order directly from you without the expensive 30% commission fees. Look. With Owner.com, you'll save thousands every month when customers order through your website and branded app instead of third-party delivery apps and reward your customers with a built-in loyalty program that turns them into regulars who order again and again. Owner.com also helps you rank higher on Google with world-class search engine optimization built specifically for restaurants with an AI-powered website. We cannot forget lists, build a huge list of people who live near your restaurant fast and market to that list on autopilot with text and email sent at the perfect time to help you grow sales and stay top of mind. Owner.com gives you everything you need to grow and market your restaurant online with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit owner.com slash unstoppable right now to book your free demo and see why thousands of restaurant owners trust owner.com to power their restaurants online. So we are back and um we left off here sometime I'm assuming this is like 2018, nineteen, twenty. This is your lifestyle
1: well, twenty twenty, my entire life went upside down. Well, Every yeah. I had a I had a year and a half of pop ups that disappeared in one day. Oh man. And that sucked. Yeah. Because you You know, you go from building all these things, building all these relationships. Oh, my God, I got invited to go cook in Chicago. Oh, my God, I got invited to go cook in Seattle. Things that you never, I never thought that someone would invite me to go cook in Seattle. And here I am. And I have to figure out how to do it. And then all of a sudden, it's all gone. Mm. I didn't know if I would have a
0: job after the pandemic. So what what did you do to survive during the pandemic? Uh,
1: I worked, I went back to tech. I worked in in tech and IT and, and I worked in relief for a while. Um, I but wanted to, I had a to, skill set to fall back. On. I had a skill set to fall back. That was on. in high demand. Mm-hmm. That's good. Everyone went e-commerce all of a sudden right. I became very, very valuable. I bet. Um, but people were also hungry and in that regard I was more valuable mm. and that's what I wanted to put myself behind. So when did you get back into
0: cooking again? Uh, you never really, you just kind of your foot off the really gas. I never really
1: stopped. Thing? I took my foot off the gas I took some time, I honestly, I spent so many years just doing and doing and doing that I'd never taken any seconds to reflect on what I'd done. And that's what I think is a very big piece of advice is recognize what you've done and the space that you've been given. Because I just, I legitimately until 2020, until the end of 2020, the way that I looked at my career and the way that I thought about it is I just show up and I cook and that's all I do. And then all of a sudden I have people who are like, you're representing Sri Lankan cuisine. You're making me feel normal for having the kind of food that I had growing up. And I'm like, that's a lot of weight on my shoulders. So I don't typically think about it. But there was a moment in, in 2020 where I was just like, you know, I, I can't stop this. This is This is the path. This might not be the one that I saw for myself. Sometimes you kind of just got to give up the give up the fight on fighting what you're meant to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a very amazing feeling. It's when I feel, I feel like I've found my purpose, See? you know, and finding that it's purpose, empowering, isn't it? So empowering. Yeah. Like you can literally do anything. If you, if you feel like it's you what you're meant can to do Do anything yeah.
1: people, I, I, I use this line a lot. It's like, we are, we are creatures of potentials and purpose. Yeah. And if we can find that potential and purpose within us, it makes a huge difference. Mm. And so I saw my potential, I saw my purpose, and I saw that I was becoming a translator for my culture. Mm. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep on leaning into that. So the second I got my vaccination, the first one, my email box was going off again. Because, of course, like, got everybody be, yeah. everybody is on Instagram at this point. Yep. And so they're like, hey, we saw you got your vaccine. You want to come visit? People's restaurants are struggling, and I couldn't do pop ups in town mm-hmm. because I would be cannibalizing the survival of our existing restaurants. Mm. And so, like, you kind of have to, you can't go into this pop up mentality of being like, I'm going to go all the places, I'm going to make all the money, I'm going to yeah. do that because you have to have a sense of nuance to it.
0: Right. And you, can, and you need that ecosystem of restaurants to survive so you can't just trample all over it.
1: Right. Yeah. Like, you, you can't run around and be shitty and, like, basically crush people's survival right. and expect to come out of it smelling like roses. Right. It just does not
0: happen. So, it sounds like out of the pandemic, pandemic out of the, the 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 out of the early part of the pan, the pandemic yeah like yeah. you kind of came out with a whole new sense of purpose and drive and
1: and i donned my little mask and i went into people's kitchens for a couple days and i was getting covid tested multiple times a day for some of these things and i made
0: it happen and at this point and this is what late 2021 now april 2021 is when i hosted my first pop-up in new york city okay um, what happened between april 2021 and September twenty twenty three. What were the? Thing, when, at what point are you so saying I'm opening i I'm opening a brick and mortar. I
1: ended up being on TV. I started being on uh, PBS with Milk Street doing instructional videos because I was doing them during the pandemic, and they're like, "Hey, she's pretty good at this. Maybe we can bring her in for this." I'm like, "Sure." I haven't tried that yet. Yeah. Ended up being good at it. Sweet, yeah. awesome revenue stream done.
0: Yeah. So this is where your your marketing and branding. And like ad agency and, and the, willing,
1: the willingness between that and like I spent seven years in the music industry, you know, just doing merchandise management. And so understanding numbers, understanding profit and loss, understanding all these little granular things that go into whether or not you can survive on a financial level.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the space that we're sitting in came up for rent in... It was announced for rent in June of 2022.
0: Yeah, June of 22. So almost a year and three months from when yeah. the space was available to when you moved. But in. I was
1: everywhere at that point. I was going. I was. I got platinum in in six months on Delta. Wow. Like that's how much I was flying. That's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. I don't recommend it. Comfort Plus. Oh no, first, my friend.
0: Oh. I'm so jealous. First, my friend. Oh, man. I I, got, I can't do, coach. I'm, and that's not me just being I can't do
1: anything but comfort plus now. Delta has
0: spoiled me. I literally can't fit. I don't think... I'm not that tall and I can't fit. I, I see little people on airplanes. I'm like, how are we paying the same for this experience? Right. Like, they get curled up in balls and they're like a cat in a yeah. big sofa. And I'm like...
1: I can fall asleep as soon as I open my
0: laptop all the way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, especially if not the person in front of you is leaning back. No, I I jockey for that first class upgrade, my friend. I can't wait into the day. I stick, so whenever I book, they automatically bump me to Comfort Plus, which is a godsend. And then since I'm flying out of Lexington, uh, there's not that many people on the upgrade list, so I usually get a little bump. So I, I became. Teach me your secrets. I started living in Delta lounges, and I don't recommend that because it's terrifying. Bye, David. Have a good day. I love David. He's amazing. Um, I love my stuff so much. Uh, But anyways, so, you know, fold yourself yourself up into a little Delta package and ship yourself all over the country and, and make it work and make sure that the food is good everywhere you go.
0: So help me understand your business model today. As far as like, you're still doing the pop-ups.
1: I'm still doing the pop-ups. So I feel like
0: in the in your world, like the, your pop-up is like your food truck where you're going out to use your pop-up to promote your business? It's, it's, like more it's essentially how I share the brand. Okay.
1: That's how I share the brand. It's how I share the food. It's how I share the ethos behind the food. Got it. Again, we're working hard and we're being kind to people here mm-hmm. and everything has fallen together behind it. What about,
0: wh- like, how you've cooked so many things, right? <laughs> you've tried so many different things. You've been forced to force your recipes into the resources that were available, depending <laughs> on whatever, wherever you were. How did you settle on the menu that you have today? What is that?
1: What can we execute that is replicable, that is craveable, and that isn't going to be a nightmare on prep?
0: Hmm. And you also spent, what, set five years, six years, seven years? I spent test- six
1: years menu developing and yeah. testing. And like what were And the using hits? this in different concepts. The fried chicken, a hit. Yeah. The ribs, a hit. The rice bowls, a hit. The shrimp and grits, a hit.
0: And I think that was something I wanted to come out of today's story. It's like, use your pop-up to do R&D. Yeah. Your, and get feedback That's in that That's all I did. Yeah.
1: Every pop-up was a learning
0: opportunity. Yeah. And it's like, you can get,
1: you can get every accolade under the sun, but until you have the real world knowledge of knowing what it takes to make your vision work, you're not going to be in a situation like I'm in where, you know, we're, we're seven weeks into this restaurant feeling of being open and I have such trust in my crew because I've taught them how to survive like I survived. You know, I I don't need the skill set as much as I need the willingness to learn. When did you start having a crew? Um, I My first hire was made in July
0: of 2023. Okay. So two months before you opened.
1: Two months before I opened is when I hired my first staff. And
0: what was your first, your first hire?
1: Uh, my GM, Melissa. Okay. Who is a partner of the gentleman who had me doing the pop-ups behind the bar. Okay. Um, she is, I honestly, and and I don't know if she knows this, but she's going to know it now. I did not sign the lease until she was a maybe because I feel like if I'm going to be on the road, I need to have a team that I can trust to execute my vision without me being are you reading my mind? I feel
0: like you're reading my mind a little bit i was it's, gonna go it's here. the
1: wine and the curry fries my friend.
0: because <laughs> i was thinking i was like how how do you start a restaurant you have
1: to have the
0: crew yeah and i
1: started recruiting six months before we even got the lease
0: so like in all honesty like as somebody who has a dream to open a restaurant and people are like why haven't you opened your restaurant yet i'm like because i published two on-site interviews across the country mm-hmm. a week like i can't I literally cannot. I don't... You need like, to
1: have the time to get down to it on a granular level.
0: Right. So, But you seem to have... You haven't given up on the pop-up. When was no. your last pop-up? Uh, I mean, I
1: did do like an appearance in Napa last week.
0: Yeah. So like yeah. that's... And you last week, and this is your second month as a restaurant owner? Like, that is bonkers. Oh, everyone thinks I'm insane. It's great. (laughs)
1: And they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, my crew's got it.
0: But I think there's a lesson here that like, you got to build the, you got to build the house before you move into it. And you You have
1: to recruit like you're in tech. You need to, you need to, I recruited like I was in tech. I identified leaders that I noticed were leading in their, in their respective parts of the industry. So what was the biggest
0: struggle going to the brick and mortar? What was the, the challenge for you, if anything? Convincing myself to do it. Um, <laughs> what were you afraid this of?
1: Was a, this was a coffee shop that had sued the state government over COVID restrictions. So this spot came up, and it was a combination of the location, the timing, like i I did not I was looking for maybe a garage or something to open up the snack easy in. That's all I was looking for, and then this space came along. it's in a beautiful newish strip mall in Lexington off of the main drag, and I walked in and it was all gray and pretty miserable, and I'm like, I can give this place a new life.
0: Was it still cash flow at this point determining your growth or at this point you, are at you this thinking- point,
1: I went on, all in on me. You know, because I'm 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 making. I had various and sundry revenue streams between standardizing the spices and make sure that they sell, doing pop ups, doing TV, doing TV appearances, doing retainers with certain companies. You know, I, I diversified my revenue streams so I could survive. And that was something where, again, where you don't have to have one extreme strength. Yeah. If you have a handful of them that you can draw upon, that's way more useful.
0: And I I commend you for thinking outside the box. And and what you're doing is what I encourage more more people who have a passion for food to do is like, don't just
1: talk yourself out of it a couple times. Honestly, what can go wrong? Talk yourself out of it. Right. Think of the worst case scenario. And if the worst case scenario like I did when I was looking at this place back when they decided not to renew the lease if the worst case scenario isn't that bad then isn't it something that you should give a shot
0: yeah like but I think the thing that I really want to commend you on is thinking outside the box and diversifying your business model yes. and diversifying your channels of revenue and not just being in this box of I can if I'm doing 10% I'm doing good you know like you there's so many other opportunities to generate cash flow and like get out like your your business and the fact that you're you're able to go do these events two months in, I'm assuming you, you I don't know like what your tech stack is or what how you like what your systems look like or if it's we just use a, a lot of Slack. Okay.
1: We use Slack pretty constantly. Um for recipe development, for meeting notes, for end of service notes. We actually do lean on a lot of tools from my time in the tech world.
0: But if you're not here, yeah. the restaurant still goes on, Correct. is my point. And I think a lot of restaurant owners don't realize that they are not their business. Correct. Their business is something that they own. It's a machine that you build that generates money for mm-hmm. you so you can diversify so you can your portfolio. Out your yeah. And like like what how do you get there? Nobody gets into the restaurant industry to make
1: money, do they?
0: I mean, some people can make a lot of money. I think it, they, they. I think there's an adverse, like, like. Uh, and I kind of, I, I mean, man, I've evolved a little bit. I feel like there's this idea that if you get, like, the money's bad, the money's evil, and then if you want money, you're just uh, uh, greedy, hungry. But the truth of the matter is, you need you can, money to survive, and you need money to do good things for people. Yeah, you do, I'm and that's
1: th- up the majority. I mean, I don't take a salary, period, yeah. yet because we're not there yet. We're seven weeks in, but mm. I do make sure that my opening management crew has health insurance. Mm-hmm. I do make sure that they're paid appropriately. I do make sure that they have job titles that if in the event they want to jump ship from working with me, that they can use that job title to leverage that into yep. security for themselves and their families.
0: You're spinning the flywheel. I have to. You got to get that, that, that flywheel spinning. I
1: mean, we had a meeting the other day and it's, it's funny. It's when you have a good crew, they're very invested in your success. Mm-hmm. And I have an excellent crew. I have a very excellent crew. I have been so fortunate. We have not had anyone leave since open. Yeah. And um, I'm still operating with that same That's amazing. Crew. Isn't that yeah. wild? I mean, I think opening just because is not easy.
0: I mean, two months, congratulations, you've had zero turn, but during an opening. Mm hmm an opening
1: that was hyped by this that and the other that in a town where this that and the other doesn't really matter and so you've got all of this hype behind you and then we open the doors and there aren't people trying to break down the doors like that's that's a moment for them and that's an expectation that you
0: have to manage so did that happen to you You opened and was it not busy
1: Uh, it's not as busy as it could be Mm. it's busy enough to pay its bills which is unheard of in seven weeks unheard of I am not operating this at a massive loss. So what's the vision? The vision for this space, for the snack shop specifically, is to find good, accessible routes for Sri Lankan flavors while taking care of my crew, while trying to change that aspect of the restaurant industry a little bit. Because in all of the years of doing pop-ups, I can count on one hand the places that have retained staff and that have had staff that are willing to work with them.
0: And how do you plan on getting the Sri Lankan food? How do you plan on spreading that? Is Do you want to scale this concept?
1: I think so. I think it's scalable.
0: So is that the goal to, to, to open multiple?
1: The tux goal tux? is just to get through the end of the year, my
0: A <laughs> short term goal. I the stick 10-year on, goal.
1: the 10 year goal. I think eventually I want to get into actually being out on a farm. I'm, I'm trying to get away from everything now.
0: So you want to build a brand and sell it? Hmm. No, I'm, I'm really putting you in the spot answering that right now. No, I don't so. think
1: I'm going to build the brand and sell it. I might, I might consider franchising. I've built it so it could be franchised if that came to it, but I also built it for efficiency and built it for people like me who are clumsy and who have very difficult time getting around the kitchen. If they've injured themselves and ripped their MCL and <laughs> ACL two months before restaurant. So opening. ergonomics high on the prior
0: ergonomics are huge. What makes it scalable?
1: I think that what makes it scalable beyond the food being good enough to be craveable in other locations is the culture. Mm. And for me, I can run this place packed with five people Yeah, with five people. And that's a lot for in here to run the kitchen. Typically we're running with maybe three to four
0: people. How do you scale that culture?
1: You know, you have to ask them what they want. It's what does it take? When I was hiring my managers, I asked them, what is it going to take to make this your only job? Because you know how many people in restaurants work multiple jobs. Bartenders that work multiple spots. That's common because people are not typically paid well in the restaurant industry. And so I took out a loan. I I checked into all the state programs and all that. And when they saw my salaries, they thought I was insane. And they're like, nobody pays this much. And I'm like, this is what it took. I asked what it would take. And they said, this is what they took. And there was some back and forth. There's some pushback. There's, you know, I'm not sitting there writing blank checks because I don't have that kind of money. But when I find the people that I want on my side, that I want on my team, and then I've sussed them out as we're opening. Opening a restaurant with people, you learn a lot about about people and how they operate. Mm -hmm. You really do. But like up until now, I didn't have a team. I didn't consider myself, honestly, I didn't consider myself a chef until I started opening this place. Because in my head, a chef is somebody who empowers and tries to lead a team through service. And if I'm not able to do that, this isn't scalable. Mm. If I'm not able to impart my knowledge in a way that they can replicate it, then I'm just going to run myself into the ground.
0: Do you find it weird that you were given a uh, best or semi-nominated or sorry, not semi-finalist for best chef southeast? Was that? the... Yeah, I was at best was, chef southeast, and you didn't even consider yourself a chef.
1: No, I didn't. I didn't nominate myself. There's uh, <laughs> look. Let's talk about awards culture for a second.
0: <laughs> well, let me lead up into this real quick. So, like, I like this. We're at this point right now in the like in the, the interview where I talk about where are we now at the missions to inspire, empower and transform the industry. And I think I want to acknowledge that one of the issues is we need to start taking care of our people. And it sounds yes. like that's one of the things you're doing to transform the industry and a good on you. And, and at, like, if we're going to attract people to this industry, they need to have a sense of security. Yeah. Uh, and that needs, that needs to come. salary
1: is a hell of a thing.
0: Right. So, I just wanted to acknowledge that before we got off the subject. Uh, and on that line, uh, that that note of inspire empower and transform the industry. What else needs to transform? And I'm setting you up here. Uh, awards culture. Finish if that. If
1: you're up. if you're watching the video of this, you're just seeing me smirking <laughs> and shaking my. I'm head. pretty public
0: about how I feel about this, so uh, I kind of have. Yeah, for
1: it. I have never been a person who is enticed by spotlights on me. I'm here to cook. Ultimately, I'm here to cook. I'm here to make your day just a little bit better. In January of this year, I got a nomination for semi-finalist for the James Beard Foundation Best Chef Southeast. And I went Huh. And I get it on the level. I do because What, what do you get? I got it because I'm in other I'm in all these spaces. I'm cooking in New York. I'm cooking in Los Angeles. People are having my food. People who are buzzy and interested in the, the next new things are seeking me out. I get it. There's, there's definitely traction to be had there. But I didn't have a restaurant, and I felt really weird about that.
0: And you haven't led a restaurant as a chef. When yeah, your definition I would of a lead, chef was- I would
1: lead a team for a day… But that's not my team. That's somebody else's team, and their execution should be reflective of their chef, right. not as much me. It's they're they're adapting to work with me.
0: There's more than being a chef than your ability to cook. Yeah, it's a it's so much. It's
1: more. a leadership role.
0: Yeah. So along that line, and continue. so along
1: that lines, I'm looking at all these names, and everyone, I'm, I'm the first pop up chef in that sort of you know list. And I'm like, okay, I know that they wanted to recognize pop-up chefs and, you know, recognize that we have a place in this industry. I don't think that I should have been the one to carry that. I really don't. Because I I thrive off of other people's crews. And, yes, I have a vision. I have a thing. But I'm not that widely available. I see people in this state. I see people in this state that are busting their asses. And, yes, they are white dudes. They are busting their asses. They are doing creative menu development. They have crews that stick with them for years. And they can't get a look, but I do? Is it because I'm shiny and new? Is it? What is it? So my question was what is this about? Why? I didn't nominate myself. I know that plenty of, like, I know some people who did, and they're like, well, we love your food, we love your vision, we love that you do stuff with refugees, we love it. I'm like, that's all well and good, but couldn't you have asked me first? Couldn't you have asked me first? Mm. Because that's not something, you know, I had to hire PR because I didn't know what the hell to do.
0: Did you catch heat? Yeah. What kind of heat? Plenty
1: of heat. Jealousy. Um, she's only there because she's this, that, or the other, and it's like. And then it became, you know, I'm not here because I'm a good cook. I'm here because it's a good look, and that's what it felt like. What
0: look do you think they're going?
1: Oh, diversity is a hell of a drug. Yeah. yeah, it is. We have a brown woman cooking Southern food in Kentucky. Look at what we have.
0: I'm so happy that you're willing to say this like publicly. and say, cause Look, what
1: the James Beard Foundation put me through with their bullshit ethics investigation is not something that I'm forgiving easily. I will be very firm about
0: that. What do you mean? Ethics in, investigation. In
1: March, when we got the finalist notification, I did not expect to be a finalist. I'm like, okay, cool. We'll be a semi-finalist. Everyone will forget about it. These guys with restaurants will get it. And it'll be fine. And then I was on a plane because I was so convinced that everyone was going to be like I'm so sorry that you didn't get it that I just didn't want to be around it because it's not something that I wanted. Yeah. I never I never sat out like I never sat out in this industry to say I want this accolade. I want fuck that. Mm. That doesn't accolades don't pay my bills. Mm-hmm. Accolades don't keep my staff paid.
0: There's some truth that they do pay the bills for some I, They couldn't
1: then because yeah. I didn't have a damn restaurant.
0: I think I mean I don't want to make this all about the, you know like a, a race thing you right. know because I think there's more than just it that.
1: is more than a race thing yeah. and I understand that I'm a good cook and all of this stuff but last year was not the time right if I I honestly wish that I had called somebody and said look can you just take me out of it
0: please yeah um, I mean part of me is like I think what ends up happening with like this and I I want to I I see that. James Beard's pivoting, and uh, yeah, they- I wonder why. They well, they pivoted away from it was, and I'm going on record now. You're inspiring me to speak up and be transparent. That it was transparency very much, is good. It was very much uh you got to play the game. You got to yeah. you got to network. You got to you got to you got to do the James Beard or the Michelin store or whatever the wherever the awards. go. They didn't think
1: I'd have any problem yeah. with what was happening to me because it was them who was doing
0: it. Well, I also think that the other variable is like it's not just James Beard; it's the culture of awards. Yes, um, and I want I don't want to just narrow out and single out James Beard it's, it's all the, the yeah, food but and wine they're the, the ones who sent Beard, the-,
1: the damn private investigator to grill me for two hours about participating in a city wide domestic violence campaign They's, the James Beard Foundation Ethics Committee put me in the same boat as people who are yelling at their staff who are throwing things at their staff who are grabbing people in their kitchens of all these articles that came in I didn't do anything wrong
0: so we. Oh, because of the, the, the heat that James Beard got because they were giving awards to people who were getting in trouble with Yeah, they,
1: they, got, they, they revamped this whole ethics process a couple of years ago, I yeah. guess. And um, it's not something that was related to my interests, right, right. but somebody had an ax to grind.
0: So now they're making sure that before they nominate somebody there that they pass this code of ethics.
1: Right, and it's not something that was... So basically somebody took two years of material that doesn't reference anybody and made it all about them and then they wrote this entire thing to the james beard foundation about how i was bullying them oh yeah
0: see the story's coming out the um, story
1: and so basically what people saw in the times was only a fraction of the story
0: yeah but i don't even know that if i'm being honest yeah like, i no, don't i, I was, give a shit
1: about a lot of that stuff you I really, shouldn't because it's a
0: fucking farce right so the big message I want to come out is that you don't get into this industry to get accolades and to get no. recognition. And the argument is, when you win those awards, it, it you cannot argue that it do, it does drive traffic to your business. It does. It's good. Yeah, for but money. what
1: good is it to me if I don't have a
0: business to drive traffic to? Right. But I guess right. There's that part of it. But I think what I want people to understand is that there's more to this business than the accolades and the awards. And I think what ends up happening is what people the people think in order to be successful, you need to like just chase these crazy meals. You get to juxtaposize juxt, to be able to get the attention, to get the awards. And it becomes about not really managing your cost of goods, but... Doing whatever it takes to get the. To ni- look cool. Exactly. And that's. I don't not- want
1: to be the cool kid.
0: So I, 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 well, I want people to understand yeah. that there's more to this industry than being cool. No. There's doing the right thing. Yes. And I guess what James Beard and other. Not just them, they but. They
1: tried to do the right
0: so thing. So they're focusing more on like equality and diversity. And I get that that needs to happen. I'm not trying to take I understand away
1: that, that I, was a, I was a brown woman in a sea of white dudes, but all of the white dudes in my category, I, I spoke to all of them before that yeah. New York Times story came. And
0: up. creating opportunity for diversity is a beautiful thing. And
1: it's wonderful, yeah. but I did not, I, I should not have been on that list last year.
0: But there's more important things, like teaching people how to run their business and Mm -hmm. running a fiscally responsible Mm -hmm. business that provides opportunity for people, that provides security, health insurance. How do you
1: honor your culture without feeling like you sell out?
0: That gives people skills that they can take beyond that restaurant, and that literally just changes the industry. And yes, we could be more inclusive. There could be more people of color that are owners in the industry, and I want to see that too, but... And
1: there are, but you got to look past me.
0: Right, yeah.
1: There are plenty of people that I would put on that list ahead of me.
0: Yeah. Plenty. And I bite my tongue on this, this topic because I'm afraid that as the majority, you know, I'm just going to sound like I'm bitter about it. Look, like, this,
1: I, I'm very bitter about what happened because essentially they empowered a white woman to try to take me down. Oh. And that is, hmm. bottom line, that's what happened. Hmm. Uh, angry white woman got upset. And wants to take me. Is down. there
0: anything that hasn't come out in terms of like I wanna I'm just going to shut up now and let you kind of get your message out. I am not letting out the whole
1: thing because I still have some legal avenues Got it. left. Got it. Um, because again, I was not disqualified. They found that it was not more likely than not that they they basically gave me a bunch of bullshit with civil legal language to it. And that whole thing blew my world up. Yeah. Like, again, you're sitting there and you're, you're grappling with whether or not you really belong in this place with this honor of, of, and, and all the things that you do. You know, like I sat there at the end of 2020 and I was like, I've done all these things. This is huge. Nobody else has done all these things. And I'm not doing that to knock myself. You know, I understand that I have a very valuable set of skills. And I have a very valuable opportunity to share those skills, to build something from that. But if you're going to investigate me in an industry where servers are scared to say things to their chefs, where people are getting their asses grabbed on the line, where people are harassed for who they are, what they are, who they love, and you're going to single me out because somebody has a problem with me saying that people who enable abuse are not good people, not even anyone specific. You're going to single me out. You're going to have a private investigator track me down, call me, leave weird messages on my phone. You're going to have me, within two hours of speaking to this person for the first time, two hours of an essential interrogation where I didn't didn't have a lawyer present. I should have. I should have recorded the whole damn thing. I would have released it by now because it was a fucking joke. They're asking me about sexual assaults that have happened to other people that have nothing to do with me. They're asking me about things that have happened to victims. And I'm like, do you you hear yourselves? And then they're holding my status to see which way the wind blows. I had to get the largest law firm in my city to be on an email with me for them to even acknowledge that the investigation was still ongoing. Nobody knew anything. But the funniest part was, is that the James Beard Foundation knew that this was going to be a problem before the nomination process ever started. And that's where I'm going to leave that. Because they knew that somebody had an ax to grind with me.
0: Yeah. Ultimately, this is the message I want to get out. I think that if we share information like this, that if we aren't afraid or just hold all this, like, so much anxiety, we we feel like we need these awards to be successful. You don't. And And we... we're afraid, like... You we, know
1: what you need to be to successful? You know what you need? You need to be able to look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and say, look, I'm not fucking up and I'm not a shitty person.
0: I would just love a whole year, a year of everyone who gets nominated to, like, reject the nomination and just say, no, thank you. Bessie, I Let's couldn't... take our industry I back. Couldn't, I I'm couldn't... I'm not saying that... You, I'm not pointing no, you out like, I,
1: No, I, de- I debated that because yeah. when they first started and when I found out what they were quote-unquote investigating me for, I was like, are you fucking kidding me?
0: I just think we need to take our industry back. We do. Yeah.
1: And even if it's an outlier like me who comes in, I still want to come in for the granular bits of cooking and being yeah. good to people. And I and hospitality. not n- single
0: you out on that. No, statement.
1: but that's fine. It's just like, you can single me out on that statement because I'm an example of it. You know, I, I understand that I'm a Sri Lankan woman. I understand that I'm a first generation American. I understand all these things. What I don't understand is how you are weaponizing the most basic of things. Again, a domestic
0: violence It's also ad. all very de- like, de- like, divisive. Like, really? You know? Yeah.
1: And you've got... I mean, like, what's next? Like, if, if they're going to investigate me for a domestic violence ad, is it like, next year, is Batali going to be at a fucking Lifetime Achievement Award or something? <laughs> like, if you're going after the people who are speaking out against sexual assault, what the hell are you doing? Oh, my gosh. Anyways, that's that's my... James Beard rant because they don't deserve me at all.
0: Thank you for the, um, I'm going to say bravery at this point because I feel like a lot of people are almost afraid to uh, offend this almighty. The James Beard
1: Foundation doesn't pay my bills and has only caused more of them.
0: (sighs) Yeah. Well, thank you for your, your willingness to go on record um, and, to, and to share your perspective and your story. Oh, that.
1: and I'm sure that there will be blowback and I'm sure that my PR is probably going to And be I hope
0: it out. blows up because it will be you know, <laughs> selfishly great for me. <laughs> no, everybody
1: everybody knows how I feel. You know, uh. I, was, I, was, I did not mince words. I was like, dude, if you love me, if you love my food, never put me in this discussion again. I
0: might just clip that whole segment and publish yeah. that separately. Never put, put me well. in this discussion because
1: <laughs> the only awards that matter to me are going to be the ones that have to do with retention that have to do with people actually getting their love for the kitchen back. Mm -hmm. You know how many people are burned out on being in fine dining kitchens? Do you know how many of them I swiped
2: Mm -hmm. a lot?
1: Because ultimately it's it's about creating food. Yeah, and it's about having enough money to live, and mm-hmm. it's about not living just to work.
0: Mm-hmm. And there is a balance. That, I mean, I'll say that fine dining does like the focus on sustainable efforts and sourcing from farms, and I think that we can use a lot of inspiration from that world of fine dining and slow food. But how do we find a middle ground of doing the right thing sustainably in, the ter- in respect of food, but also sustainably in respect to can we scale and monetize this and create security? Should for people? we yeah. scale and monetize?
1: You know, maybe, maybe the, you know, super hyper fancy thing that you want to do is a great idea, but should you scale it? Maybe not. Maybe that doesn't need 300 seats. Maybe it doesn't need 300 seats. Maybe it needs 10.
0: There's different business models. You know, there's things in that you have to
1: embrace that. That's Mm -hmm. the thing is like in this industry, it's not a one size fits all approach. It's about doing it and figuring out what works for you and what makes it feel right. Yes. The award culture doesn't feel right to me because I think it misses a lot of the big things in this industry that people have been doing. And it eliminates them for some reason or another, who knows, but oftentimes it's not based on skill. I don't want to be here because I'm a champion for diversity. I want to be here because I'm effective and I'm running a business well that doesn't have people who hate their lives
0: think we've made our point yeah (laughs) i I think i
1: I think i might have scared him a little bit
0: (laughs) no i'm not scared (laughs) i just um you know i just uh, i want to respect your time we're 30 minutes over oh shit yeah we gotta go and uh you know i i just want to say thank you so much we do got to wrap up with a few more questions that i ask all my guests all right let's Uh, go what is one thing about your business a value a process a system that's uncommon that makes you unstoppable (laughs)
1: What's uncommon, pole sambol makes me unstoppable. I have the best coconut condiment ever. Mm. And that's the big arsenal of Sri Lankan cuisine. But I also have like a sustainable employment plan where we kick 10% of our, we know that people have tip fatigue and that they feel weird tipping about it, but we do delineate 10% of our checks specifically for benefits. I love that. And if that ever gets to the point that it pays for more than benefits, it's going to pay for more than benefits. That's not going into my pocket. Mm. That's not something that I want to do.
0: I love that. Uh, the mission statement, again, is to change the world by inspiring, empowering, and transforming the industry. How have you personally transformed since 2016? Like, how has how this, this industry galvanized you and made you stronger?
1: I mean, that's been like been put through your meat grinder, you know? You have to learn everything. You have to learn everything. Everything in a pop up world is a disaster. Everything. My eyebrows are on fire. My sous chef can't show up. My oil is weird. My ingredient didn't show up. I have to figure out, like I had one thing where my ingredients for my dinner that I ordered six weeks before didn't show up until the day after the dinner, but people are still expecting dinner. Mm. You know, it's how do you problem solve in a way that's sustainable? What's changed is that I am so much more easygoing than I used to be about this stuff. I know that at the end of the day, if I've got a good product and I have a good crew, everything's going to be fine. And I have enough faith in that to leave my
0: restaurant six weeks in. I love that. What is, if you got the news, three questions that you could leave behind. So if you got the news, you'll be leaving this world tomorrow. Okay. All the memories of you, your work, and your, your restaurants will be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom mm-hmm. that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be?
1: Wow, that's a deep question I mean, for over- after a glass of wine or some curry fries, my friend. Take another sip. <laughs> yeah, let me take another sip on this.
0: I just finished mine, but... Um,
1: your job does not determine your worth. One. is number one. Your job, your, your title, whatever, that does not determine your worth. You do. Number two is that you have to realize the power that you have as somebody and that you have a different viewpoint than I do of the same things we can look at the same thing and see two different things you need to honor your viewpoint you shouldn't silence yourself and number three is that accolades do not matter the way that we've been conditioned to think they do Mm -hmm. ultimately nine times out of ten accolades are a marketing tool. Yes. And I drew back on that from many years of studying marketing. I know exactly what awards are.
0: Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And Awards
1: I, I, don't make
0: you feel better. No. And there are so many people who get into this industry to get those awards and they don't oh, feel like Oh, I know like tons of them. And they don't feel like they've achieved anything until they've gotten those awards and they... They leave this industry feeling like they failed because they never got the... It's not about that.
1: You know what matters to me more? It, it's, today there was a young lady who drove three hours to be here today. She's a Sri Lankan. I drove three here. hours
0: to be here today. What, what a coincidence. Oh, I know.
1: <laughs> and she came here with her family. And she's Sri Lankan, but is in an interracial marriage like myself. And I sat there and I looked at her and I hung out with her family for a bit. That's cool. And it's like, this is what we can do. This is what we can be we can be a beacon in the darkness for people we can be a beacon where there is no representation we can we can be that yeah. and that's what matters yeah
0: this has been a lot of fun thanks, thanks you, for having oh, me thank you for sorry I kept you so long no I I love going <laughs> long I really do like honestly I, I wish they were all two and a half hours long
1: um, well I mean everyone's gonna try to get to that last bit so you're gonna have fun with I'm have that i to have to
0: start paying my editor more <laughs> money though for these long <laughs> episodes oh god he heard that didn't he we Shoot. love you
1: editor thank <laughs> Jared's you Jared's the man I'm make so lucky me sound
0: cool <laughs> uh, you made yourself sound cool and oh, uh, this is you. this next question is the last question is and it's really what I want to be the backbone of Restaurant Unstoppable who am I to decide who should be made an example of in the industry so who do you respect and admire in the industry somebody who you just have you know if this person was a guest in the show and i could tear into them like i tore into you today to get them to open up to share information they'd
1: tear right back i mean i, I think of people like Manit mineet, mineet shohan 100 she is inspiring because she's gone through so many hurdles so many hurdles so many challenges to make her business successful and it's still representing unapologetically representing Indian culture in the food world.
0: So Manit Shohan.
1: Mm-hmm. I think about people like her. I think, about, I think about Laura Ramirez, who is a chef here in Lexington, who moved her family up to be a part of the horse industry in the 80s from Guadalajara. Wow. And then they realized that there was something missing. So they brought back a tortilla machine one year and that's still the one that makes all the tortillas at this place on Alexandria Drive. Wow. And she's been working tirelessly, tirelessly, in various iterations of restaurants, cleaning houses and all that to carry her vision. So Laura Ramirez is she's she's an inspiration to me. When and she's free and giving with her knowledge.
0: Say her, her first name for me one more time. Laura. Laura. Yeah. Okay. Laura in a minute a out lookout. I'm coming after yeah, you. i am love coming to get you it, on yeah. the show. Uh, and I can't do it on this trip because I'm off to Kansas City next. Um, no,
1: stop and get a burrito from Ramirez on the way. It'll be
0: worth it. Okay, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> uh, and how can we connect if we are really inspired by you, if we want to follow you on Instagram, internet tell you is how the much you inspired way. us. I mean,
1: don't tell me that. That'd be weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm on the internet as tuk-tuk-lex, T-U-K-T-U-K-L-E-X, and then the snack shop is Tuktuk snack shop. And then if you want to keep apprised of all the exciting things going on in the snack easy, at the Snack Easy.
0: And are you hiring or what's going on there?
1: We are full up right now. Good but for you. We have, a, we have a little pile of resumes and cool. that I also think is insane that people awesome. want to come work with us awesome. and I'm grateful for that
0: every day. And this is episode 1047. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com 1047 1047 we'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as how to connect and any tools or services recommended all over there in the show notes and just thank you so much Sam for taking the time I just ask questions
1: thanks for letting me rant a little bit that um, was that was very uh, hey that's what I'm here brain. for I,
0: I've been told these are therapeutic <laughs> extremely well we'll see how therapeutic
1: it is after it gets released and I'm hiding from You're my inbox like, God damn it Eric I'm like damn it, Eric did I really say that and yes I did and I I own everything i say
0: Good. Uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna put ad money behind that episode um <laughs> to, get, to get it out there um this is where i say I just, again uh, i just ask questions you, you do what i do you make what i do possible with your time and knowledge and your willingness to share your story there is no questioning you are unstoppable
1: no oh, thank you and thank you for being here and you're always welcome to stop here oh after that chicken sandwich stop.
0: <laughs> i will for sure cheers <laughs> cheers There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Chef Sam Four, for coming on and being non traditional and getting outside of this mindset of you need a brick and mortar to be a successful food professional, chef, whatever. There's so many different avenues out there for you today to to craft your own journey. And I think this this approach that Chef Sam took with pop-ups is such a smart way to get your brand out there and to scale slow over time and to use different media outlets and channels to to monetize and profit from. This is such a smart way to grow and it takes very little resources. Whereas a restaurant, Takes a ton of resources, a brick and mortar restaurant that is. So awesome stuff here, very inspiring. Also, I want to just acknowledge you for having the courage to stand up to an organization that has a lot of influence. And I think more people need to be willing to share what they're feeling. And um, you know, I I I'm a, a, a huge advocate for getting away from this award culture. I think it's destroying our industry, and these organizations, frankly, just have way too much. Power and influence, and I think we need to take our industry back. So, thank you for standing up for our industry and speaking out. This is awesome. Uh, Also, um, we need your support. If you want to support this podcast and this mission to inspire, empower, and transform the industry by taking an honest, transparent, journalistic approach and just sharing the truth, then one way, you can, or there's a ton of ways you can support the show. A couple of them are: you can support our sponsors, you can use our affiliate links, uh, you can share this sucker with everybody you know aspiring to be great in the industry. But the best way to support this podcast is to join our community. And in 2024, we are relaunching Restaurant Unstoppable Network, the podcast website, and the community. Um, so the first tier is going to be $10 a month, and what you're going to get is a content library, access to organized content. We're going to organize it based off of geographic from the guests, the number of restaurants a guest has, the type of restaurants guests have, uh, whether they're a chef or uh, a president or an owner. Uh, we are going to drill down and get metadata so you can really tailor the content you're listening to, whether you want to listen to only systems and technology content or culture ta- content or marketing content. We are going to help you get so much more intentional with your listening hours. So we're super psyched about that. That's 10 bucks a month. What uh, so we're going to launch that at and um there's a, a the second tier is community. So that's basically what restaurant unstoppable network is today. Uh, we're right now, from now to the end of the year 2023, we're going to honor the twenty nine ninety nine a month rate or three hundred for the year and we're going to grandfather grandfather you in what you get with that is community access to our, our Mighty networks platform where we built. The restaurant unstoppable community. So you can get access to other owners across the country. We're going to have live events where we're going to bring in our current guests to, to, to answer your questions on their basically reflecting on their episodes. Any questions you might have wished I asked that I didn't, you'll be able to ask straight to those, those past guests. We're going to have live workshops. We're going to do live demonstrations with the tools and services being recommended. We're going to have book clubs. We're going to have all kinds of shit over there waiting for you. We can't wait. And then there's going to be a third tier. That's live coaching from me and my strategic partners, the people I'm going to, if I'm opening a restaurant tomorrow. So that's going to be more than $47 a month. Uh, we're probably going to do a flat rate. We're still figuring that out, uh, but that's coming down the barrel too. So we have a lot of cool things happening. Please support this podcast, join our community, and help keep this thing honest. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.